looking at you, kid. I'm Charles Foster Kane! Hey, Stella! Suck on this. What is going on, everybody? This is Wrong Real. It's a podcast for hardcore cinephiles. We tackle everything from Jean-Luc Godard to Jean-Luc Picard. And today we're tackling the entire career of Steven Soderbergh, somebody who has not been a lazy filmmaker. He's got dozens of films, plenty of TV shows, documentaries, short films, music videos. And to help me navigate this vast library, this vast ocean of content, I've got returning guests, Matthias van der Roos and Jacob Rivera. And we're going to be doing our top five format like we did with Oliver Stone, ping-ponging back and forth, counting down from number five to number one. But guys, welcome back to Wrong Reel. Thanks for having me. Well, this is y'all's idea. Y'all made the pitch. And as we were talking about before we started recording, this one required... A little bit of homework because Matthias had only seen a couple of his movies, and so he watched thirty films like in eight days. I mean that yeah. that that that's that's a lot of movie watching. When you watch that many movies in a row, I don't even know if if they even function as actual movies anymore. They just become just blurry kind of moving images on a screen. But it becomes so much more abstract after a while, as opposed to say when you're watching a movie like one or two times a week where you really can kind of savor and take it in. So did you kind of feel like you were losing your mind as you prepared for this? Well, not really. Cause it was pretty uh, spread out. Like I would take, uh, you know, weekends, I would only watch on weekends and then watch, you know, something like, uh, uh, you know, seven movies per weekend, something like that. So it, it evens out to about three or four per day. Uh, so it was definitely doable, but uh, I have to say though, uh, it was Jacob's idea, I think, because I ha- I wasn't really that familiar with him, so it wasn't my uh, pitch, but I gladly uh, went along with it because I was interested in in, uh, in Soderbergh. So, well, for me, the 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 kind of the blurring of reality and fiction got like was magnified tenfold because I've been preparing for a couple of big episodes simultaneously. I'm doing a giant episode about Mickey Rourke's career, a giant episode oh. about the entire year of 1954, and I was preparing wow. for this, and so I was just banging back and forth between those three topics just to try to right. keep things fresh. But it got to well, a point. 19, where, yeah, oh, go ahead. 1954 is uh, La Strada as well, right? Absolutely. But nice. it's one of those things where I was watching so many movies, I was like, "Am I even like enjoying these anymore? Like, are, like do movies even exist anymore?" <laughs> but, right. Yeah. When, but it, I'm going to spread the release of the episodes out over uh, a, a, a lot of May. But Jacob, um, how how well versed were you with Steven Soderbergh prior to preparing for this episode? Yeah, just to to kind of circle back on what Matthias was saying is that you know I pitched you a couple um, uh, director episodes and. And Oliver Stone being one of them, and Soderbergh the other one, and I think, um, uh, you know, I think Mateus also had pitched uh, Oliver Stone, and you know that's how that whole kind of pairing came up. But I had such a great great time with Mateus and and you, I, I figured, you know, hey, if he wanted to jump in on this episode, Get the even band though back he, together, he, he, man. Didn't, he didn't have that much uh, knowledge, um, because I think Soderbergh's a very interesting uh, character. He's had a very uh, weird career, you know, lots of ups and downs, and even at one point he was, you know, I think. Uh, retired or you know kind of like the officially retired but a little hiatus you know because he was kind of sick of it but um i had seen uh, quite a few of his movies um we'll talk about some i think some of the more obscure ones you know because he you know he was kind of the ushering of that independent movement you know with his first film and then you know he he kind of took a little you know sideways uh, turn and then he kind of had a big comeback with his kind of like heist movies and and a lot of like uh, thinkers and so you know I think we'll, we'll probably talk about you know uh, a lot of those ones you know one of the you know 
uh, favorites of, of many people. Yeah, it's remarkable looking at his entire body of work, how he's got micro budget, he's got macro budget, he's got Hollywood insider movies, he's got total Hollywood outsider movies, he's been a technological innovator. I mean, whether he's shooting movies on an iPhone 7 or... Right. Like being one of the earliest experimenters of day and date. I mean, people are still messing around with day and date releases. And like in 2005, he's like, nope, we're going to do every platform simultaneously. But it's just incredible how many different formats he's experimented with, or even in the context of his own movies, with all the different film textures and all the, like, all the, like whether you're shooting on 16 millimeter or HD video. I don't know if I've ever seen a filmmaker since like the days of Jean-Luc Godard experiment with so many different formats and so many different genres from doing Spalding Gray kind of one-man essay films to like Mosaic where it's like a choose-your-own-adventure app on your iPhone that you can also watch as a TV show. He's clearly somebody who's just fascinated with breaking the form, reassembling it, keeping things fresh, keeping things interesting. And to be able to flip-flop back and forth between like Ocean's Eleven, which is obviously a big, giant, glossy Hollywood heist movie, and then go right into Full Frontal, this movie that looks like it was shot for like $40, like an HD camera, right. it's, he's very clearly not content to rest on his laurels and just coast. And then you've got this enormous body of work on TV with shows like The Nick and things like that. So it is just incredible. Like, like him or hate him, love him or not, you cannot deny that he at least is always experimenting and trying to grow as a filmmaker. So what is this Mosaic thing? Mosaic is an app where when you watch it on the app, you can choose at any one time which character you want to experience the story, like their POV through oh. whom you will experience the story. And if you watch it, you can also just watch it as a, as a TV show, but it's a murder right. mystery, and it's got Sharon Stone and a bunch of big actors in it. But really? it allows Is this pre-Black Mirror? The pre-Black uh, Mirror? This was before the Choose Your Own Adventure, the, uh, the, what was that one called? The Bandersnatch? Yeah, it was yeah, before so Bandersnatch. Bandersnatch. But Mosaic, okay. I believe, was 2018, and I watched the first episode just sequentially. I didn't, I didn't get the app. But it's got some interesting uh, comic book talk and that sort of thing, and I, I just I love the fact that he, he's always just trying to figure out what is this medium of storytelling that we're using to tell our stories and do we really need to follow these rules? And like when he sees a movie like Heaven's Gate out there, he's like, you know what, I'm going to do like my version of Heaven's Gate and just like cuts half the movie out. And it's like, see, fixed it, perfect, blah, blah, blah. I just, he, just, he never seems content just to kind of chill and take a break. Did you see he's uh, producing uh, the new Bill and Ted movie? I did not realize he was attached to that. Yeah. I, mean, I was in fifth grade when that first one came out, and I just absolutely loved it. I, I, I doubt that it has aged particularly well. And I saw Bill and Ted's right. Bogus Journey in the theater, and I think I, my, I lost a lot of credibility with my father for years after ma making him take me to see that. <laughs> but I, I'll, I'll, see, I'll see the reunion. Why not? Yeah, me too. Hashtag me too. Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> well, let's get the conversation going on Steven Soderbergh. Uh, Mr. Rivera, what can you tell us about his early days prior to winning the Golden Palm with Sex, Lies, and Videotape? Because obviously, age 26, he won the Palm, uh, Palm d'Or. That's a major accomplishment for a director who's so young. From what primordial ooze did this guy emerge? Yeah, um, so I believe um, he... He was born in Atlanta, I, I believe, Hotline. and then he, and he ended up going to um, I think Louisiana, I think LSU. I think his uh, uh, I believe his father was like a was he a professor or something to that effect, and so he ended up uh, in at LSU, and then after um, uh, leaving LSU, he he got into um, uh, doing uh, what was it that he did he. I know he did some stuff before he kind of broke into uh, doing his his 
uh, directorial debut of the Sex Lies and Videos tapes. But um, we well, did that. Yes, he did some short films, and yes. he had that concert film for yes. What's it called? Uh, yes, like nine oh one two or what was the? Yeah, uh, that's the name of their album. Uh, that's the album. Oh yeah, with yes, nine oh one two live from nineteen eighty five. So yeah, four age twenty two doing this concert film, which I have not seen. Yeah. I looked far and wide on the internet, and I could right. only find the short that he made about the behind yes. the scenes when he made it. I saw that one too, yeah. So, uh, yeah, how, yeah he, how, how is he, that? Prior to that, he, he was a game show composer and cue card holder. Nice. Um, and then he <laughs> found work as a freelance film editor before, and then during this time, that's when he did that, that Yes uh, video in uh, 85. I mean, yeah, I, I love a good concert movie. I love like The Last Waltz, and I love uh, you know Stop Making Sense and stuff like that. But is I I know almost nothing about Yes. Is it is a, a worthy concert film or? I haven't seen it, and I'm not. A, I I would, can't say I'm the biggest Yes fan. I don't. I don't really, think I can name I can a single song by Yes. Yeah, you know, I'm sure they have a famous heart. song. Oh, that okay, so that's one of the all right. So I know yeah, the that's music, their big hits, but I, but I don't know it. Like I, I can't like uh, like kind of like picture uh, like a catalog in my head. I, but I'm, I mean, as a kid who grew up in the right. '80s, obviously, I got I heard a lot of their shit. So right. Well, they um, they were more of a band. They were kind of like Genesis in the same way where they started in the late '60s and it was very sort of prog rock, long solo uh, type Peter of Gabriel music. Genesis. Yes, yes. And then, of course, uh, Peter Gabriel left that band and then uh, with Phil Collins as the singer and drummer at the same time. I still don't know how you do that, but um, they started going in a more sort of like new wave direction. And that's actually what Yes did as well, Um, although they pretty much had the same uh, number of, well, the same members pretty much uh, throughout that period. But they ended up uh, hooking up with this guy. I think his name is um, Trevor Horn if I'm not mistaken, and uh, that's how they ended up with, uh, you know, Owner of a Lonely Heart and that kind of stuff. But before that, their music uh, was more songs like uh, Long Distance Runaround, and they have a song called um, Siberian Catherine, which I think was referenced in the show uh, Spaced by... Um, I love Spaced, Edgar yeah, Wright. you're right. It's, that fucking yeah, show is hysterical. that was the name of the bar in that, mo- in that uh, show, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, that was very different music from uh, uh, that one big hit single. Gotcha. He used it in Grand Theft Auto. I know that. Interesting. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Great well, song. Well, let's start dipping our toes into some of these flicks. So, Mr. Rivera, since this was uh, your brainchild, I'm going to let you go first. Start, start eases in slowly. What is your fifth favorite Steven Soderbergh film? I know we'll talk about it later as far as because I had a, this, it was really hard. Like, my top three are pretty <laughs> solid as far as like my favorites, but the four and five slot, they I had a really tough time. like kind of making the Sophie's choice of, of you know, which ones I'm going to put there. He's got but, a lot of movies that are pretty good, but he's got yeah. a handful that are, like, you know, the standouts. <laughs> but, there, there, but you could easily make, yeah, I mean, you can make like seven or eight, five, like f- groupings of fives out of his entire filmography. Yeah, I'm hoping between the three of us we'll have some, some maybe some controversy here where yes. some people like some some of those movies that aren't as, is, as you know, well-liked and, and, you know, vice versa. Um, but my fifth is the limey. Ah, gotcha. Oh, okay. That would be my number one. If you could only see me, I know exactly where I am. You wouldn't want to be me. Oh, I can assure you that.
Yeah, but, but it is an obscure film. So uh, for people out there who don't remember, it came out 20 years ago. What well, give give us the lowdown on the limey? Yeah, so um, it stars uh, Terrence Stamp, and uh, he's basically he's a uh, he's just come out of uh, jail. He was a criminal. He was like I think a bank robber and whatnot. But his daughter gets involved with uh, Peter Fonda's character, who um, who's involved in these kind of uh, money-wise with these shady dealings with. And so um, she ends up, you know, his daughter ends up finding out about um, these dealings and basically threatens and, you know, she's murdered. And so basically Terrence Stamp, as the father, is, uh, comes to the States and basically is trying to uh, figure out why his daughter was murdered and who's responsible, and he and he kind of uh, hooks it back to Peter Fonda, uh, Terry Valentine's character, uh, with the help of a couple other people, um, you know, friends of his of his daughters. But um, it, there's a good parallel between the story because you know he was a he's basically like a, li- a lifelong criminal, and his daughter had always kind of like threatened to turn him in, and they had this kind of weird relationship. And you know, basically the Peter Fonda character, Terry. He also kind of had this like similar relationship with this, and it kind of comes to the head. Yeah. You always know, always on the phone, that. always threatening so. to call, but it comes from a place of love. And yeah, right. I, I find that movie just to be remarkable. I love like the flash forwards and the flashbacks and the unconventional editing style and like the music choices. Like when Peter Fonda's character is introduced, and you see just this highlight reel of he was obviously just an, an icon of the '60s, and suddenly you remember like, oh my god, like. 30 years before this, like from like the Wild Angels to Easy Rider, he was just this biker 60s icon guy. And I think it's one of Peter Fonda's most interesting roles. But I, I love just like the dark underbelly of Los Angeles that it's exploring. There's just so many interesting details. And yeah, I think the Limey, I don't think it's underrated because it has a lot of fans. But sadly, because it's a 20-year-old movie, a lot of people just haven't even heard of it. Critically, it's 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 held as a great movie, but I think, like you said, a lot of people didn't like because it came after, um, you know, kind of his bigger like movies, and so it kind of came under the radar, and not a lot of people have seen it. Yeah, well, Out of Sight know, was so. a huge flick, and I, mean, I don't think it was huge commercially, but it obviously had no, a ton of star power and then right. this incredible cast. And the Limey was lower budget, and he it was just kind of this modest, humble little movie that he kind of s- snuck in off the radar. Yeah, and one of the highlights though for me though is is Terrence Stamp. You know, he's you know legendary General um, Zod. And I, I, I haven't you know during the movie they they show flashbacks to when he's younger. So I'm assuming that's right. from another movie. Ken Loach, but yeah, I don't, a Ken Loach I, film I, from like '67. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so um, you know, that I thought that was pretty clever, but I mean, Terrence Stamp is just a force of nature in this movie. He's just he he has so many great like interactions. Is just like you know when he goes to the one of the first scenes where he goes to um, kind of confront, uh, find out information about Terry Valentine. He gets kind of like beat up by these thugs, <laughs> and they throw him on the street, and he's just like. You know, they throw him, you know, and they're like, you know, old man, don't come back here. You're going to get your ass kicked or whatever. We're going to kill you. He just fucking gets up, pulls a gun out of his thing and just goes in there and just pops him like like a fucking badass. Yeah, like, and he's it, like, tell crazy. him I'm coming. <laughs> he is, yeah, he is <laughs> Reminiscent so of tombstone, uh, like a tombstone, you know, that, that you know, right. tell him hell's coming and I'm coming with him. You know? Oh, but he's so funny. That scene with Bill Duke when he's in his uh, office and he tells this long mm-hmm. story with like this crazy thick Cockney accent and Bill Duke's like, I didn't understand a fucking word you said. <laughs> right. They referenced that a couple of times. Even Luis Guzman and um, who plays uh, what's his name? Uh, is it Eduardo? And then Elaine uh, by Lisa and Leslie Ann Warren. They both are like, do you do you know what he just said? You know, I, right. I don't know what he just said. I don't ever. I I was gonna say that I don't get the Cockney rhyming thing because at one point he says uh, about Luis Guzman, uh, he's my China. 
and then he explains like China plate mate. But why don't you just say mate then? I, I well, don't they do that with Don Cheadle's character in the work. Oceans movies when it's like, uh, you've gone all Barney and like 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 Barney Rubble, like right. trouble. But it must be some but sort of cockiness into humor. Sense? Well, you're our, the only like European in the conversation. You explain it to us. You've got a better handle on things know. than we do. I don't understand it, but because let's say, okay, so let's say the the China thing, right? How do you know it's supposed to be China played? What, what if it's China something else? Like, how do you know that that's the combination this person means? Couldn't it mean something else? I think it can mean quite a like few China things. China country. Well, it's like one of those things where you, if you have like a certain group of friends and you have certain slang and then you right. get certain twists on it, like when people and like strangers come into your group and you have to almost kind of right. explain your secret code or secret language, like, oh, well, well, this comes from this, but then it got changed to this, blah, blah, blah. So you have to kind of almost explain the whole history, but it becomes a shorthand when you're around people who speak your language. Well, it's actually funny you brought that up because um, that was something that uh, Becky talked about during the uh, broadcast news episode of uh, Flixwise, that she has a friend that she does that with sometimes where she says something like, uh, let's meet at the place where we went that one time or something, and apparently they know what that means. Uh, and I think that's definitely a thing that certain people have. I will say that uh, with uh, when it comes to the limey, I thought it was going to be at the start of the film. I thought it was going to be much more like uh, Get Carter. Oh, gotcha! Kind of. Yeah, I love Get Carter's killer flick, and the '71 Get Carter, not the Stallone remake. Right? <laughs> oh no, no, we're not going to talk about that. Well, we should uh, also mention the limey is yeah. written by Lem Dobbs, like. Soderbergh obviously loves working with certain composers, certain actors, right. certain writers, and obviously Luis Guzman has worked on with him on a ton of flicks like Traffic right. and Out of Sight. But here we got right. Lem Dobbs, and Lem Dobbs he wrote Kafka, he wrote The Liming, he wrote Haywire, and so he is not necessarily one of his most frequent collaborators. But Lem Dobbs is someone who has worked with uh, Steven Soderbergh on several occasions. Right. So Matthias, was this the first time? I'm assuming is the first time you saw this movie. Yes. Yes. I. What do you think? Uh, well, I well the the Cockney thing kind of puts me off a little bit, um, as always. Uh, and I also thought that um, some of the editing felt kind of weird, where you see things from you see it repeated multiple times. It was almost like um, remember they used to do that in Knight Rider. Whenever the car would jump over something, they would show it from like three different angles, like oh, gotcha. three times in a row. That's kind of what it reminded me of. Yeah, Soderbergh is definitely one of those guys who shoots a hell of a lot of footage and loves to have a lot of options to play within the editing room. And he talked about later on when he shot The Good German, he shot it like an old school Hollywood movie right. where you choreograph your camera movements and you really are married to your choices. And he said it just in terms of like the discipline, it's just a, a lost art form. And so, yeah, right. something tells me when he's shooting, he has like 150 digital cameras set up and he's just getting everything. And then he just right. loves playing in the editing room, which is kind of his typical style. And another thing about this movie um, is uh, there's this actor named Nicky Cat um, who's been in a bunch of Soderbergh films, but I don't I, I haven't seen him in anything like more recent. But um, I think he's a he's an interesting actor. Like I think he he plays a lot of like different type of roles. I love him in Days um, Confused when he uh, he gets in that fight. He's like I'm here to yeah. kick ass and drink beer, and I'm about out of beer. <laughs> I mean, he actually has a pretty funny scene in, in this when he when they're scoping out um uh uh, uh what's her name um. Elaine, and then uh, they see uh, Wilson, who, who's Terrence Stamp's character. But they're they're like they're playing like extras, and they're like just like at the, right. the the line or whatever. And he's like telling jokes, or he's like saying shit to the to people walking by. You know, I mean, some of some of it's you know probably not appropriate for today's <laughs> times or whatever. But I'm not a politically correct person. But uh, Nor I thought am he was pretty funny. I shit from a great height on political correctness. <laughs> 
Yeah, at one point, someone says, um, "I wonder what it'd be like to have tits." One of the one of those <laughs> hitmen. I think th- that might have been uh, his line or someone else's. I'm definitely gonna be getting me a pair of tits because I know it'll help me on my YouTube channel. <laughs> Just stick those babies out. Well, before we move on, any final words by you, uh, Jacob, on the limey? Um, just, I, I think because a lot of people haven't seen this movie, I, I would just strongly recommend to check it out. You know, it's, it's, again, it, it's, it's not his big budget, you know, if, you know, heist type of movie, but it does have a lot of, um, a lot of heart to me and, and it's, the acting's really good and the story's well paced. Um, you know, uh, a, lo- a lot of the Soderbergh's movies, you know, have, I think they have like kind of the perfect length. They're like not too long, not too short, and yeah, so a ton of um, ninety-minute films. Yeah, so I, I think this is you not know, not talking about Shea, but a lot of his other movies are <laughs> roughly <laughs> ninety minutes. Shea's a little longer. Yeah, yeah. but um, I, I think it's it's just a it's a really good solid like movie, and that's why I made my five spot. Nice. All right. Well, moving on, Matthias. What is your number five? Uh, well, I I don't know if I mentioned this uh, earlier, but uh, maybe when we were um no, I don't think I mentioned it. But uh, what I like about some of his films is that you can you can tell that certain films are kind of similar to each other. So you have to pick one of one of two films. Uh, so I went with um, Side Effects uh, as my number five. It was going to be either that or Unsane, which I feel is kind of similar. Yeah, they're definitely uh, in the same spirit, without a doubt. Yeah, yeah. So, But I went with Side Effects. Uh, it's a movie about a woman who um, kills her husband, and she says that it's uh, because she was sleepwalking. And uh, basically, then the film, at first, it, you know, they try to argue that maybe it was because it's a a side effect of a drug that she's on for um i think being bipolar or depressed or something like that and then that gets turned on the doctor played by uh, jude law and they try to make it seem like he's uh somehow responsible for all of this because he was taking money from a pharmaceutical company to uh, hand out this drug and his life starts to fall apart and then he starts to figure out uh, what really happened, and it, I just thought it was such a sadistic movie, uh, how it ended. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was very impressive, but I have to say, I also really liked Unsane. Unsane um, rocks. I saw yeah. it for the first time in preparation for this episode. Very I can't believe I missed that in the theater. I, I, I was really yeah. impressed with the Unsane. But I, mean, I saw side effects with my sisters. I um, I was invited over to her place when she lived up in Midtown. She's like, oh my God, we saw this movie. It's amazing. We're going to watch it again. You got to uh-huh. come. And so I sat down to watch it. I go, oh my God, it's going to be some stupid chick flick with Channing Tatum and like Rooney Mara. <laughs> and then it says yeah. directed by Steven Soderbergh. I was like, oh shit, that's cool. Because this is yeah. one of the last movies he made before his self-imposed exile from making movies for a while. He did like this yes. and Behind the Candelabra. And then he kind of right. went into TV for a while. But side effects, I, I was really caught off guard by the by the twists and turns, and I thought Catherine Zeta-Jones was great, and I thought, thought Channing Tatum was yes. great. But Jude Law, this yeah. is when he was doing like this and Contagion. Like Jude Law was kind of in Soderbergh's circle there for a while, and it's funny seeing how different actors come in and out of his life. But this is right. also another frequent collaborator, Scott Z. Burns, who wrote this. And Scott Z. Burns writes tons of Soderbergh movies. He wrote Contagion. Right. He wrote The Informant. He's written all kinds of things. So, yeah, it's funny. He, he has a, a pretty short list of writers that he seems to like to work with. Well, and Channing Tatum uh, right now is one of those actors that he works with quite a bit. He did like four movies uh, with him. Yeah, like Magic Mike and Haywire. Right. And yeah, Ch- right. yeah, it's one of the things where he just, he seems to make friends, whether it's Don Cheadle or Matt Damon or whoever, and just wants to keep using these guys again and again. Right. Well, this right. is a testament to, to him as a director because, you know, you wouldn't have actors, 
you know, that diverse wanting to work with you over and over again. You know, I think even with his production company, um, what's it called? Uh, something. Punch or no? No, it's called something else, actually. Side? No, is it something eight no. or something like that? But whatever. He works with, I think, like Matt Damon a lot. And like just, you know, Matt he has Damon's, a bunch he's of- worked with more than any other actor, actually. Yeah, but um, it, I think that that's an interesting choice, and and um, and the, how I like how you make the comparisons with Unsane because I hadn't yeah. seen Unsane. Um, I had seen side effects. You know, I think it was on Netflix. I think maybe I saw it uh, uh, a few years ago when it when it was on Netflix. But um, right. uh, yeah, Unsane is is very you know similar to that. It's almost kind of like a double bill. But uh, right. it, it's, it blows it's, my mind that Unsane was shot on the iPhone Seven. It looks know, fucking right? gorgeous, and, and iPhone Seven. I mean, I. I it's it's a little it's a little nothing burger of a, of a device, but somehow he just he, he he made it look like it was shot. I mean, it looked like I, was, I mean, if I hadn't known that, never in a million years would I have assumed that he was doing some sort of technological experiment with it. Right. Yeah, I don't know how they do that. Like, cause I when I shoot stuff on my iPhone, you know, like it a, looks like, like shit. a boxing yeah. or whatever. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, this doesn't look like anything. Like you lighting, know? So it, lighting goes a long way. If you can, if even if you have a pretty um, rudimentary camera, if you have awesome lighting, you can you can make some special things happen. Well, I think he uses uh, some sort of a special program on the iPhone, uh, doesn't he? I don't know. He very, he very well might. That would make sense. Yeah, but Side Effects is a is a is a very clever film, though. Like I I think like we'll we'll talk about a lot is that, you know, there's, it's kind of like the good version of M Night Shyamalan, like you know where, <laughs> you know they have like little twists in his movies, yeah. and they you know they kind of build, but up they don't feel you, gimmicky. They feel organic. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You're like you, you see things and it almost makes you want to like revisit the movie because you like have to go back and say, Oh, right. that's why that happened. That's, that's what my sister was like. My sister saw it, loved it, and she was like, We're popping this fucker in again immediately and that's when right. she invited me over. She was like, oh. I mean she, my sister doesn't watch a lot of movies, but when she finds something she likes, she goes all in. So yeah, side effects definitely had a massive impact on her. Uh well I'm uh, I'm done with this one. Uh, All right, excellent. Well, moving that. on, number four, Mr. Rivera, what do you got for us? So I got another uh, kind of surprise movie and another clever one. I think is uh, Logan Lucky. Jimmy, I'm just gonna say it. I gotta let you go. You were just fired. I was let go for liability reasons involving insurance. The one-armed bartender. <laughs> you need to show a little respect. Charlotte Motor Speedway. I know how they move the money. The only guy who knows anything about blowing up real bank vaults is Joe Bang. Incarcerated. Yeah, we got a plan to get you out. Well. Coca-Cola 600 is the biggest race of the year. We need a computer whiz. I know everything there is to know about computers, okay? All the Twitters, I know them. Welcome to the Coca-Cola 600. Now, how many yards away is the vault? 20 yards. I don't know, maybe 30. Is it 20 or is it 30? We are dealing with science here. They're gonna know what we want them to know. My life of crime is over. That is massively stupid. 
It's been handled. Oh, this is gonna be good. That looks like it hurt. I want everything on Jimmy Logan. I'm about to get naked. So no bacon. I said no bacon. You Logans must be as simple-minded as people say. People say that. <laughs> Would you give me my arm, please? Is it this one? <laughs> Oh, I love Logan nice. Lucky. It's funny as shit. Nice. So um, I actually heard about this movie most from uh, uh, Marcus Penn. Um, he does his kind of like year-end wrap-ups every year, and he was raving about this. I think it was on like the movies that didn't deserve to be this good or something. So he has like categories <laughs> like that. And um, yeah, Logan Lucky um, is basically it's, – it's a heist movie you know, involving right. – um, Channing Tatum uh, um, plays Jimmy Logan, and he has a brother um, and sister, uh, Clyde and um, uh, Millie, and um, uh, played by Adam Driver and uh, Riley Keough. Keough, Keough. I never quite know how isn't to say her name. Co- isn't it Cough? Might be. Yeah, I, I, she's Elvis, I she's Elvis's I granddaughter. Like a, I yeah, I Keough. saw that today. Yeah. Yeah. I have, she, to, I have to say though, I have a little, I have a little crush on her. Oh, she's, she was, I mean, I she, if you want to, really? if you really want to get under Riley Keough, whatever her name is, uh, watch uh, the TV show <laughs> The Girlfriend Experience, which I think Soderbergh right. was one of the producers on. But Riley was yeah. the star of the first season, and she gets as uh, Daniel Craig says in the movie, like I'm about to get naked. Naked. So no yeah. peeking. Yeah. I said no peeking. <laughs> like yeah, I mean Daniel Craig doing the Southern accent. Holy shit, he is so fucking funny in this movie yeah. is this but accent the, good i mean the all the southern accents are basically like the descendants of the english accent because you know the english settled virginia and they settled north carolina uh-huh. and so all these southern accents come from england so you always find all these like crazy anglophiles amongst like southern people that are trying to get, get back to their roots so all, right. it's very easy for the brits to fake it like when scarlet um okay. like when um oh, what's her name from uh, gone with the wind uh vivian lee vivian lee was right. english but she did the georgia accent no problem and so it's, okay. it's a pretty common thing seeing brits just absolutely nail the southern a- accent pitch perfect but doesn't this movie take place kind of uh, in your area where you're from? Or yeah, no? I mean, NASCAR is a big deal in North Carolina. Carolina, and so yeah, it's down there in Charlotte. And I'm actually heading to Charlotte right. in a couple weeks. So, but yeah, I've never been. I've never been to a NASCAR event. I'm, I hear they're quite an experience. But it, has a, any director ever made more heist movies than Steven Soderbergh? Right. <laughs> He's right. made a ton. Well, once they got the hooks into him, it seems like he he kind of you know he he you know he he's really into those very elaborate you know plots with all these different characters and just all these things happening like in this movie um you know because you know you have so many different sets you know you have the um the brothers and then you have you know daniel craig's character and his Mm -hmm. brothers that you know he's in prison and so this whole thing is that they have to he because he's a bomb uh, or a, a safe cracker they have to get him out of prison and then put them back in before this <laughs> right. ice is done. Right. So, you know, a little, little, you know, crazy, like, oh, well, that can never happen. But, you know, you just suspend disbelief. But um, this movie has a lot of uh, comedy to it. Though. Oh, God, it's, it's really funny and just like, you know, a lot of the exchanges are just, just hilarious. And it just, 
again, it has that great pacing uh, of his of his movies. It's like not a, a not a minute's wasted. And everybody, you know, I was going to ask the same thing as Mateus is like, how did you think that they did with their their southern accents? Because I'm not sure is oh, Channing well, Chan Tatum, Tatum from is southern. He he does southern accents just fine. I think he's from Louisiana, but I'd have to check to be sure. Right. But there's a weird mystery at the heart of this production where it's credited to a writer named Rebecca Blunt. Which is a pseudonym, right. and no one knows who it's a pseudonym for. But she oh, really? ha- she has no other credits. She has no, and she's never worked on anything else. And so, but Soderbergh loves to invent the. Oh, I'm looking right now. Uh, Channing Tatum's from Alabama, Cullman, Alabama. Okay. But um, like when he did, I think Bubble, he shot. He was his own DP, and he created right. a whole new identity based like on his parents' names. So Soderbergh loves to kind of mess around with that sort of thing. So who knows who Rebecca Blunt might be? But whoever Rebe- Rebecca Blunt is. They knock the screenplay out of the park. The screenplay yes. is so strong. Well, I love when uh, during the prison riot, uh, <laughs> someone goes uh, and tells the warden, "We want the the latest Game of Thrones uh, Game of Thrones book." And he's like, "Well, it's not out yet." And the guy goes, "Well, that's bullshit. It says it was supposed to be done two years ago." Exactly. I feel the same way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I, and I what I liked about this movie is it. It is kind of similar to something like an Ocean's Eleven, but they're using very basic technology, and I thought that was kind of cool, like the thing with the gummy bears in a plastic bag. I don't know if that actually works, uh, but it seemed like, oh, huh, well, and and like the uh, and it is just so funny, like when the the fake arm gets uh, sucked into the machine that they're using <laughs> to suck up all the money. And things like that. Is that and hard it, it is too? Hilarious. When you see young uh, little Sadie Logan singing uh, "Country right. Roads," I mean, right. yeah, it, it's it's very moving stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, I think, yeah, it, it's to to hit on your point, James. That the heart is, you know, because you know the um, Clyde doesn't want to do this heist, but you know he's so connected with his brother and and you know like you know Sadie and so it's it's about family, you right. know, and again they. Their whole their whole thing is that I think Clyde thinks that they have a curse, you know, because the the Logans right. never get away with anything, and and you know, um, so you know that gives them kind of hesitant to to you know do these little these little things, and it's basically kind of um, because um, uh, Channing Tatum's character uh, Jimmy gets fired, and that his daughter who he shares with uh, Katie Holmes, uh, right. his wife, she's going to move, you know, with her rich husband. It's kind of his motivation to like, well, I need to be able to get a lawyer and all this stuff. So it's come from a very, you know, in, internal thing, you know, you know, I have kids. So, you know, like I, I, I understand that of, of wanting to do anything you can to be with your kid or, you know, if something like that were to happen, you know, pulling out all the stops. I don't know if I'd pull a heist, you know, cause I'm not that smart, but you know, and again, I think the, the, the the Logans are kind of un, underestimated too. I think there's even a scene where they say like, "Oh, you guys uh, have a little bit more to you than than people give you credit for." But that's kind of it's almost like um you know an advantage that they have because when you're underestimated, you know you can kind of sneak in Absolutely. and do things. Like I, I'm you, dying or, for them you know. to do a sequel. I feel like the ending does set up a sequel pretty well if they ever decide to do one. But um, right. I don't know if this movie doesn't necessarily made that much money. I mean, obviously the Ocean's movies made all the right. money. They did just fine. But Logan, Lucky Man, I, I would love to revisit this world of Soderbergh and the actors are ever game and also just seeing like Adam Driver I think he's underrated as a comedic actor as well like he I, I, Adam right. Driver's obviously had a very strong like six seven years where he's worked with Scorsese and Terry Gilliam and all, all these big directors but I think they tapped into something oh, really brothers. really great about uh, about Adam Driver as an actor in this flick yeah, it was a budget of 29 million estimate and it did 48 worldwide so it wasn't that, that is not a, much 
not 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 very you know much of a success yeah. but um, if it even broke even know. that would be a miracle so but i i can't remember i i think there was some there were, i don't know if this is one of them there was a, there's a couple movies i think that soderberg is kind of like taken on and funded himself um so that uh you know, he basically kind of like how Mel Gibson has done, where he can just basically do whatever. So, well, it helps you know, if you make the Passion of the Christ and make four hundred million dollars, and that that, that, right. that opens a lot of doors to financing whatever weird passion project project you might have. I was really surprised that uh, Hillary Swank was in this. I had no idea. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. She she's definitely been underutilized in recent years, but yeah, she she had a great small part. I mean, that whole plot element opens the door to the sequel. So right. hopefully, the sequel will come. But this is a, a true underrated gem, and it blew my mind that this movie just vanished when it came out. But well, they got they right. got to find this writer, uh, Rebecca. Absolutely, Blunt, absolutely. <laughs> it, it was my number. Uh, it was my number three. I just oh, kind of interesting. Have to All right, so let yeah. you know already. Confession. So, uh, yeah, well, great, yeah, great minds yeah. think alike. Yeah, I don't know where it would be in my rankings, but it would definitely have to be a strong contender for somewhere in the top five. I, 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 th- yeah. I think this is. It's like it's the hick version of like out of sight. Oh, of yeah, it's funny. Of all the heist movies that he's made. His, mm-hmm. my, my least favorite movies. My least favorite movies in his entire filmography are the Oceans movie, but we'll get to that because I, I, I right. think they'll come up at some point, but they, they do nothing for me. But um, So what is, what is your number four, Matthias? Well, my number four uh, is a movie that I think I first saw maybe last year because of, um, because of Becky talking about it during uh, one of her Albert Brooks uh, episodes, but uh, Out of Sight. Oh, nice. Come on, man. If I say this is my car, you know this is my car. You just get yourself another one. If I say we in on this Ripley shit, we in on it with or without your punk ass. And if I say you're going to walk up in this house and do this motherfucker so I can see if you got any balls or not, guess what else you going to do? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just some fire to that ass. Tighten up your panties, boy. rewatched it for this episode and i just think it's so funny uh a lot of great actors are in it i know it's been talked about pretty recently when well, you we did, did the, the elmore uh, leonard episode and uh yeah. mikhail and i are both very big on that and so we went we went batshit yeah. but give give it give us your take people have I heard my opinion hilarious. so you give it give us right. your opinion uh well uh, just the story real quick or no i just you know, just whatever your your hot take is what what's most interesting right. about it to you well i really like um well, first of all, there's a lot of great uh, actors in this. Um, it is very funny. Uh, <laughs> one of my favorite lines is when they're in the prison, and um, George Clooney basically saves Albert Brooks from getting ripped off by uh, Don Cheadle and Morris Chestnut, who has a small cameo in this. And Don Cheadle says, uh, you know, he could injure himself by falling on something real hard, like a shiv on my dick. <laughs> and it's so hilarious. It's just... And also, just um, I noticed today that there's actually a spin-off TV version uh, based on the Jennifer Lopez uh, character with uh, Carla Gugino. Actually. Oh, interesting! I, I had no Karen, idea. I, I, I love yeah, Carla Gugino, yeah. but yeah, Karen Sisko is such a great character, and I think this is the best Jennifer Lopez ever was in any movie. I, mean, yes. I know, like Martin Kessler loves her in The Cell, and there are a lot of people out there who you know, they like and it for a variety I, of reasons. But there was this in terms of character and performer just being a perfect fit yes she just crushed it right and i also love uh when um when they're in that hotel and uh all the fbi agents are running upstairs and she has to she's basically being punished 
So she has to stay downstairs, and then the elevator goes open, and it's George Clooney and Ving Rhames and this really old guy, and he just kind of waves at her like he's completely surprised, and then the elevator door closes, and they go back up, and I also love when uh, they're in the elevator with that old lady, and they're just yelling, is this your floor, (laughs) ma'am? Uh, also, a Viola Davis cameo. Uh, I had completely forgotten about that, even though I saw it pretty recently. What, 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 are you, what are your thoughts, Mr. Rivera? Well, unfortunately, this is my number one. I oh, really? I fucking love this movie. I, I think it's a perfect movie. I probably watch it at least a couple times a year. Nice. Um, you know, I will even put it on just to, like, just to, I can, like, at work put it on and just listen to it. And, you know, because I've seen it so many times. Um, but, you know, Jennifer Lopez has never been better. I agree with Martin that she was great in the cell, but she is just so sexy. So she has like such control of her role. Um, you know, she just, you just fall in love with her. And I think George Clooney's great. All the side characters like Steve Zahn and Don, I love Don Cheadle. He's one of my favorite That's actors. Yeah. I mean, it just, there's so many, there's so many great, like, you know, characters in this and they all get kind of like, kind of like, a, like, kind of like the Avengers. They all kind of get their little, their little scenes that are very memorable. Little you hero know, like, moments. Louis, like Louis Guzman's interaction with the, with the Captain Keener's character. Cause she's Fake a magician's legs. assistant. Fake yeah. legs. <laughs> it's so funny. Um, one of my favorite scenes though is, and I think you guys talked about it uh, before James is when, um, you know, uh, George Clooney's character. So, you know, he's looking through Karen's stuff because he has her purse and, and stuff. And Ving Rhames goes to throw him the keys. <laughs> and he just, he's like, Jack. And they go in the pool. They go flying around by him. They're in the pool. But he's, he's like, totally you know, lost like, in your, love like, and wake affection. Up. You know, yeah. Like, we're, we're, we're being chased down here. We got, we got shit to oh, yeah, do. Jack's but, mind uh, is on, I mean, justifiably, if you spend five minutes in a trunk of a car with Karen Sisko talking mm-hmm. about movies, you're not going to be thinking about anything else ever again. I mean, you're just going to be completely, utterly under her spell. Well, I and like another, how, uh, yeah, I, I like how uh, Fing Rames uh, kept calling his sister to, to confess to stuff oh, that yeah. he did. Yeah, pros- prostitutes, bank robberies, and yeah, the only time it really got screwed up is when he confessed the crime before it was committed, and boom, yeah. in the slammer. And then the late Dennis uh, Farina is in this, who's right. who's great as, as as Karen's dad, but like every time he has an interaction with Michael Keaton's character, <laughs> it just it's so funny because he's just always like jabbing him, you know, like you know. I think he says a line where he, because he's wearing like a thing that thing that says FBI or whatever. Yeah. And he's like, oh yeah. He's like, <laughs> he's like, do you wear one that says undercover? You know, like, <laughs> you know, you know kind of like just messing around with them. But that uh, Michael Keaton's character is also a reoccurring character um, in the Elmer Leonard books and also in movies that he makes plays to say Nick uh, uh, Nicorette or what's his name? Ray, uh, yeah, Ray, Ray, Ray Nicorette. Yeah. He play, he's in Jackie Brown as yeah. a, as the same character. But um, shared again, universe, baby. Elmer, yeah, but it, this is to me, it's 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 a perfect movie. It's got comedy, it's got sexiness in the chemistry, it's got great acting, it, it's well paced, it's well directed, it's got a, a good soundtrack, it's got a good like look to it. It just it, it has all the elements to me of a classic movie, and you know, unfortunately, it's it, well, not unfortunately. I mean, it's my number one, but uh, you know, we got to talk about it a little bit sooner. Well, like we go talk about the music. David Holmes is another another one of his frequent collaborators, but I think David Holmes was never better when working with Soderbergh than with this movie. I I, I went driving around in '98, '99. I would put on the out of out of sight soundtrack and just listen to the trunk scene, just the music, that pulse. For like sometimes on a loop for like 30, 40 minutes. It's so hypnotic and 
Yeah, I agree. I've, I've said it on the Elmore Elmore Leonard episode we did, but I think when it comes to the '90s, you can make a strong case for this being the most entertaining, enjoyable movie of that entire decade. I mean, there are a lot of strong contenders. But I never get tired of returning to it. I get tired of watching Pulp Fiction. I will never again watch fucking Forrest Gump. But like, but out of sight, I could throw it at any old time and laugh and smile. And it, it keeps finding new generations of fans. Like I showed it to my little brother. He was totally, completely floored. He was like 12 or 13 at the time. I think this movie's going to stick around, have a very long shelf life. It's got brilliant editing. Just everything's, everything works. The script is fucking phenomenal. It comes from great source material. you got great crew, unbelievable cast. And yes, yeah, Scott Frank wrote the screenplay. And Scott Frank's obviously had a huge career as a screenwriter. But this was after Soderbergh had kind of been out in the wilderness for a little while because between Kafka, King of the Hill, and The Underneath, he was very much in danger of burning out very, very early in his career, burning up prematurely, even though I think King of the Hill is a pretty under is a very underrated movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, and then Schizopolis was this great oh little like two hundred fifty thousand dollar movie that kind of resurrected his yeah. I guess his excitement and his interest in movies. And immediately following that, he's got out of sight and it I've never seen a better career comeback in movies where somebody is on the fringes of total obscurity and then suddenly, boom, it's your calling card moving forward. And without this movie, the Ocean's Eleven movies do not happen. So I'm looking at the trivia here, too, also, that Sandra Bullock was uh, right. initially going to play Karen Sisko, oh, but uh, Soderbergh was against it because he said that uh, George Clooney and Sandra Bullock's chemistry was was not good. But um, and This movie's chemistry is everything. And I, yeah, uh, but... It's a tie back though to the oceans because Sandra Bullock ended up doing these. I think what she plays the sister of uh, Danny Ocean, right in the Her Oceans right, right. Eight uh, um, spinoff. Yeah, I heard that as well. That with George Clooney, that when uh, when Jennifer Lopez entered the room, they could tell within seconds that these two actors were just feeding off of each other and just having so much fun. And without that chemistry between Clooney and Lopez, this movie would completely fall. It would still be a fun, cool heist movie, but. The love, the romance, the tension, will they or will they not have an opportunity to do it before the movie's over? And it's one of the most romantic, beautiful, love-making scenes I've ever seen in a movie. It's like the having a drink at the bar, then they go to the hotel room, and it's, it's magic. But I also like that it's also like kind of it's um, dipped in kind of reality in the sense that in most studio movies, you would have, you know, uh, Karen and, and George uh, Clooney's character would do it uh, – end up together, you know, like happily ever after they go or whatever. But, you know, it, it kind of does have a twist to that, you know, where she has to make a decision about what her, how important her job is to her versus, you know, this, this romantic uh, love interest, you know, and they even play around with it saying like, well, if things were different, but they aren't, but if they were different, maybe, you know, they would be together. But, you know, Karen's like, you know, hey, it's not. This is what it is. Well, Jacob, you're a big boxing fanatic. What do you think? I mean, there's a lot of boxing in this, from boxing in jail to like the underground fights they go to. What do you think of the and like and the the big face off they have in the gym? What do you think about the depiction depiction of the boxing world? Even like in the scene where Karen's like about to get raped, and they're talking about like different weight classes and things like that, and right. she's like talking about tussling. That guy's scary. Yeah. Um. What's that? Isaiah Washington is that the actor who's in that yes. scene there? Yes. Yeah, and she gives him a good whack on the wrist with that, with that baton. Right. But right. Jacob, do you like how boxing? is depicted in this flick i mean there isn't a ton of boxing i mean they they have the you know the prison boxing which you know um why, why they call don cheeto's character snoopy right. because he you know you pet him he goes down you know like <laughs> so i mean that that you know it's 
that happens. I believe that happens in boxing where they, you know, they have fixed fights and, and things like that nature. Maybe not the bigger ones, but some of the lowercase ones. But like well, the that gym. Was actually, um, uh, you talked about the Make You Work episode. He actually had a fight like two or three years ago against a guy that was uh, a known uh, diver who uh, <laughs> he had a fight yeah. against a guy that was like 30 years younger somewhere in Russia, I think. Yes, and, it was uh, in Russia. Yeah, yeah. It was a disgrace. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, even the, the gym, just the look of the gym, because a lot of the gyms in like the inner cities and in you know like Detroit and stuff like that, they have that you know uh, very grungy you know kind of like strip strip the fighter down and and get him you know get him tough you know he's not going to be training like Ivan Drago was in, in Rocky Four with all the technology and stuff like that. You're just gonna go back to the basics and you know you're not you're not. You're not a celebrity in this gym. You're just a fighter, and so you know. So I think they they pulled that part off uh, pretty well. Yeah, I love that face off when like when they're talking. Oh, it's just like being back in the joint. Like if you back down, you're just a pussy. <laughs> and they're yeah. just seeing those guys. But yeah, they're in like white boy with the white boy Bob, who's going to Don Cheadle's kind of henchman. Oh. He's so slow <laughs> yeah. and so dense. He uh. he just can't keep up. And Ving Rhames and George Clooney are just like dance like tap dancing circles around him verbally. And yeah, white he's boy, walking bo- around with all the, uh, the with all the stakes. Yeah, and ends up blowing his own goddamn brains out yeah white boy yeah, bob exactly. very funny character but a little short <laughs> on brains yeah is that what you say I, you can't call me snoopy but he can call you white boy bob yeah right yeah ving I, has ving rames ever been better i mean ving rames is great in a lot of movies but this is a, a part that's kind of tailor-made for ving rames and what he brings to the table he was very uh, good in uh, er uh back in the day on the, the tv show he played the brother of um was he the hut uh I think he didn't he play Eric LaSalle's brother-in-law. Uh, I, 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 er no, was a, I, around at a time where I was watching Zero TV, so I honestly can't say. Yeah, I mean he was yeah. good in Pulp Fiction. I thought. Yeah, I mean, Marcellus yeah. You know, Wallace. Kind of his breakout, right. and then he was in. I think was he in the Undisputed movies with the yeah with Wesley Snipes. Yeah, I think that was him. The the prison fight uh, right. thing, right? Going yeah. back to boxing and, and right. All right, so so catch me up. Where where are we in terms of whose turn it is and what number it is? I, I lost track. We just so did my just number out of sight. Yeah. Oh, we did your yeah. number four, which yeah. is Jacob's number one. Gotcha. So we're on Jacob's number three then. Okay, so um, my number three is um, Traffic. Nice. All right. Okay, nice. So um, you know, Traffic is another one of those you know you know biggest uh, uh, ensemble cast. Um, you know, he won Best Director. Uh, he was actually nominated for both Aaron Brockovich and and Traffic, right. which is very year. rare to be nominated for two movies in the same year. But that's when right. his he reached peak celebrity as as a as a filmmaker. I mean, that's so unusual uh, to have two massive movies in the same. And of course, Julia Roberts won Best Actress for Aaron Brockovich, so right. it was a very good year to be right. Steven Soderbergh. Benicio del Toro won for Best Supporting Actor. Yeah. I think, right. for- traffic so you know and i think it won best screenplay i think it i I saw a stat that he's been nominated nine times i think or his films have been nominated nine times they've won eight of the nine so i mean he has a pretty good track record um but yeah the the movie is you know it has a bunch of different storylines you got the benicio del toro's character he's a mexican cop who who he's basically trying to do good for his community and gets involved into the you know the whole uh, drug trade, and then you have um, Michael Douglas's character, whose daughter is is hooked on on uh, I think it's crack, or she's like yeah, free basing. Or, and doing or yeah, or yeah, she, yeah, she's she's inhaling a lot of chemicals that are not good for you. Yeah, and so and then um, and then you have uh, Catherine Zeta Jones' character, whose whose husband was basically a drug dealer, um, and you know 
basically gets gets arrested and so she in order to make you know to kind of keep her lifestyle and to make do she kind of gets involved in in finishing out his plans and then you got Don Cheadle and Luis Guzman who are uh, DEA uh, undercover or DEA agents and they're like basically trying to crack down on all this stuff so you have all these it's just a big giant story that kind of all coincides together of like different uh, I think it's basically focused on on drugs and the effects it has, you know, on the family when you have a daughter that's hooked on drugs, on you know people that are part of the cartel, the police officer who's basically you know um, caught up in it, you know, because he's on that side of the border, and then you have the U.S. side of the border, um, you know, just them dealing with it. And Michael Douglas's character is also the drug czar, so it just has all these interlocking stories. That the acting is just fantastic. Um, I think the cinematography is is really is really great. And yeah, a in lot of different movie. textures for different regions. Like right. if you're in DC, it's got a look. If you're in Mexico, it's got a look. Right. So you always kind of know exactly. where you are according to the photographic style. Right. right. And and uh, you know, just it's. I think it's just a really sharp script. Like it's uh, again, I, I I've said this before, but I don't feel you know it is a little bit of a longer movie, um, two and a half hours. But I didn't feel like. You know, I saw this in the movie theater twice. I think, uh, um, you know, when it first premiered, I think oh, it, was it was just a big in LA deal when it came out. It was a New massive York. deal. Well, I think they had a, they had a little short run, uh, you know, because um, I think you know for the Oscars, you know, they they do that thing where they kind of have like a right. limited run in New York yep. and Los Angeles. So I went to somewhere in LA where they it was just like you know they had like one showing at like eight o'clock, whatever. And then it did the when it did the wider release, I ended up taking some friends to to go see it because I was so impressed with it. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it just you know it it just it really is it, again moving to me. You know, it just shows different sides of of all these things that have to do with the the drug culture and and in a way you know you know there's a case to be made that you know all the money that they spend on it it's it really doesn't really have an effect you know it's because like they the, might as well the, the be throwing it demand. into the wind and just seeing what happens well right. i mean because I, I think the thing that people forget or maybe they don't forget but this is my kind of my perspective is that you know drugs do make you feel like you know good for a, a moment of time and you know that's that's the allure of it. You know, especially if you're if you're have a you know a shitty life or you you need some type of escape. You know, it's easy for you to get involved in these things. And why do you know? You know, of course, it has the the uh, the effects of you know getting addicted to it, the addictive uh, factors. But you know, when you're when you're you know whether you're rich or you know uh, poor, you're old or young, whatever. If you if you're in a certain state of mind and you want that that kind of escape, then you'll be drawn to this. And so in that way, the demand is always going to be there because this is just the the nature of, of being a human. You know, you just have these you know ups and downs and whatnot. And so you know, again, the supply. Well, Matthias, this country's got it figured out. You just regulate it, tax it, and have it in certain designated places. And drug use, at least when I was there in '08, was actually much lower than in the neighboring countries in Europe. And I think that's probably one of the most – the Netherlands probably has one of the most sensible approaches to drug enforcement. But, Matthias, obviously, I don't want to talk about your own country out of school. Right. What, 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 what is your opinion on how your, hand, uh, on your country handles um, drugs overall? Well, it's not like every drug is legal. I think it's just mostly soft drugs. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I think when it's legal, it's not as interesting to a lot of people that otherwise might want to try it just to, because it's forbidden. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, I've never really been that interested in it. Like maybe when I was, um, I remember when I was 16, I felt like, well, you know, now 
I'm at the legal drinking age at the time. Since then, it's been uh, it's been uh, now it's 18. But at the time, it was 16. And I remember thinking, oh, well, now I get to try beer. And I did it. And I wasn't into it. You know, as far as pot goes, I, that was never really for me. Cause, just because it stinks so bad. Like, I just remember <laughs> thinking. It smells so good. <laughs> it, yeah, it's just horrid. Um, I'm not even sure what it's supposed to do. Like, it, it mellows you out or something. Or it but, could make you hellishly introspective and paranoid as well. But what about yeah, like in Denmark, obviously, they even have like uh, syringe dispensers in the McDonald's for people like right. shooting up. And they have like, you know, Christiania in the middle of, uh, of Copenhagen where all drugs are legal. Like, Den- okay. is Denmark a little bit more, um, I guess, free with the drug laws than the Netherlands? Yeah, I, I don't think we have anything like that uh, here. Um, as far as the movie goes, um, I really like that actor who plays uh, the hitman, that Frankie Flowers guy. I think he's really cool, too. Uh, you yeah. see him pop up all over the place, but uh, he was really good in this. Yeah, I have to say, when this movie came out, I was probably at my peak enthusiasm for Soderbergh as a filmmaker. Like, he had this great book called Getting Away With It, where he interviews Richard Lester, but he's also talking about his own career. Fascinating read. I just remember like between Schizopolis and Out of Sight <laughs> and The Limey, and mm-hmm. then Traffic and Aaron Brockovich, a one-two punch. I was just blown away by seeing this filmmaker who was known for basically Sex, Lies, and Videotape, which right. is a movie I, I fucking absolutely love and adore. I've seen it many times. I just couldn't believe this surge and just this incredible wave right. of success that he was experiencing. I was it's absolutely spellbound. But then I had a weird thing happen to me, and I, I still don't quite know how to put it into words or explain it, but when uh, Ocean's Eleven came out in the theater, I saw it, and I was so bored by it, that I didn't see another Soderbergh movie in the theater until Haywire nine years later. Oh, right. Like, he right. went from one of my favorite directors in the world to suddenly just becoming this kind of, like, boring, conventional director. And, like, every single film from his, like, big, like, Clooney period in the early 2000s, like Solaris and The Good German and all right. these movies, I skipped each and every one of them. Like, uh, I, I saw um, The Girlfriend Experience on right. HBO just because I, for obvious uh-huh. reasons, I wasn't about to miss that. But as I was preparing for this episode, <laughs> I couldn't believe it that between Ocean's Eleven and 2001, I took, yeah, a, like a nine, ten, yeah, Haywire's 2011. I took a 10-year right. sabbatical from watching Soderbergh entirely, in spite of the fact that I absolutely love an adornment of the film. It's still something I don't quite understand, but I was just, I had this total disconnect. I was uninterested in Ocean's 12. I was uninterested in Bubble. I was uninterested in all this shit. And right. then, but now, like over the last 10 years, he's had this insane comeback for me. Like I loved Unsane and I loved Behind the Candelabra and I love Logan Lucky, like so many great flicks. So yeah, I, I've got a weird relationship with his films in terms of um, how frequently I watch them. Do you think it, it, you it's because uh, Ocean's Eleven was kind of like a, it feels like anybody else could have made it? It felt like a movie where every single person involved was just cashing, doing, doing it for the check. It felt, right. it felt, it was like a, like a fake exciting movie. Like it has like the appearance and the ingredients of being like a big fun heist movie, mm-hmm. but I felt no thrills, no excitement. And the actors seemed like so bored in, in the movie. I, I was just completely bewildered by Ocean's Eleven at the time of its release. And, uh, but I, yeah, I think Ocean, I think the Ocean's trilogy is some of the least interesting work of, uh, of Soderbergh's career, but I, I love, uh, right. obviously the other stuff. Right. So did you do Haywire? Why did you go back? Because of Gina Carano? Oh, or? hell yeah. Because uh, yeah, Gina yeah, Carano okay. is the shit. And I, you know, I'm an MMA fan. I remember my, my little brother and my stepdad and I were like, let's go see a movie. I was like, holy shit. Look at all like Gina Carano, full-blown MMA star making the switch to uh-huh. movies. And I thought Haywire was killer. I, I yeah. loved Haywire. 
It was a, a lot better than I thought it would be. It's way better than it has any right to be. And like when she's like doing like triangles on people, like I've seen oh, yeah. her use the MMA choreography in the flick. And like the way she dropped down at the end and Antonio Madeira's kind of turns around and like, oh shit. Like she she is such a force of nature in that it's an, it's sad that no one has been able to utilize her as well in a movie since then. But right. I think Haywire is a very underrated kick-ass little action flick. Did it? Didn't they do something crazy though with that movie where they dubbed her voice? Like that, that's not Gina Carano's voice. That. They, like, oh, yeah, I didn't know it. that. Yeah. Interesting. It was, actually, uh, it was actually the voice of um, the actress from Sex, Lies, and Videotape who was having the affair with her uh, uh, sister's oh, uh, husband. Oh, I, well, I love her. Hang on, I've got. I've, yeah. I'm pulling her up Lee right now. Something, Lee. Yeah, Gio I literally Gio. read Lara San Giacomo. Yeah, yeah, she's. I mean, Lara, she is hot beyond words and sex lies and videotape yes. and like the way she like goes up cr- back and forth across the bar like raising her knees up and then when she's like describing to andy mcdowell what she's done with uh james spader in the video and uh, i mean like and andy mcdowell's like oh you're in trouble like their whole relationship is so great but yeah i mean yeah, sex lies and videotape for people out there who want to see like essentially the birth of what made the 90s indie craze happen, Sex, Loss, and Videotape played a huge role in that. I mean, obviously, you can go back to a lot of earlier examples like Stranger Than Paradise and things like that, but that movie just took off like a rocket, and it ushered in, for me, the great heyday of American independent film, which was the 90s. Anyway, but I got off track. I got started zigging and zagging. I guess we were talking about traffic. So, yeah, so any final words on traffic? <laughs> Uh, it didn't make my top five, but it was going to be one of my honorable mentions. So I'm I'm a big fan of that movie. It was actually one of the few movies that I had seen um, before this episode. So yeah, I like it. Gotcha. All right. Yeah, well, we know, we we know your number three, Matthias. So let's skip ahead yes. to your number two. What do you got for yeah. us? Uh, my number two, and I'm not sure um, how to describe it because technically it's not really a documentary and it's not really a movie, but. Um, Grey's Anatomy. Oh, that I thing. love Grey's Anatomy. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and not to be I confused with that amazing. stupid fucking TV show. You're a Christian scientist, right? That's right. That means you don't believe in doctors? Uh, that's right. Uh, say lightning hit this tree now and a branch cracked and came down, hit your head and your brains are drooling out all over the grass. Would you go to a doctor then? At first, I really thought that uh, this gentleman was just an actor and that uh, he would try to memorize or let's say just be able to give his lines in a certain way. And he was so very knowledgeable, really, when it came to some of the medical terms. Oh, oh, I really was uh, surprised that it really was. He was the patient. Uh, Dr. Mandel, over here, please, it's me, the patient. Well, I just thought that the methods he chose, the alternative methods, including the sweat box. Oh, great spirit, this is Spalding speaking, and I want to give away the fear that I'm about to have a heart attack at any minute. The uh, psychic Philippine person. There he is, Trini Boca, the Elvis Presley of psychic surgeons. I didn't think anybody would go through those extremes to, uh, oh God, give me another drink. You know, to treat um, an eye problem. Spalding Gray, one of America's best-known storytellers, takes an extraordinary journey into the world of medicine. His relentless search for the perfect cure spans from Nutley, New Jersey, to Minneapolis, to the Philippines, with results that range from the ludicrous to the amazing. 
And he obviously is a very, very intelligent person. He's very neurotic. Stop it. Whatever you're doing with your face, don't do it. It makes me nauseous. Um, and I'm not sure that I agree with his thought process about everything. So that if a guy says he never wanted to sleep with his mother, the chances are he gave it some solid consideration. And I think I probably would spend more time just trying to reassure him that uh, this condition does have a fairly good prognosis. Well, that, that's great. You mean, because I'm not going to sit around and wait. I could try alternatives, right, while I'm waiting? I mean, like diet, acupuncture, prayer, all three. I could do that, couldn't I? Oh, yes, he says with his great Buddhist smile. Try all the alternatives you want. Then we'll have to operate. Apparently, he shot it in only 10 days, and basically, it, it's almost like you're watching two things. Uh, you're watching this uh, uh, Spalding Gray talking about how he had macular pucker in his <laughs> eye, which is kind of like, um, I guess, like an infection kind of a thing. Like he had something stuck in his eye. And then uh, the film actually starts with about, I want to say, seven people talking about how uh, something happened to their eye. Uh, like a lady who accidentally put glue in her eye as opposed to uh, eye drops. Oh, God. Uh, and yeah. It's a couple of stories like that, and then uh, they cut to Spalding Gray talking about this eye infection and all the different things he did to avoid having to go to a doctor. Cause yeah, he, was he didn't want to go to a doctor because uh, he, yeah, he like was, his doctor friend. He like he was talking about how they would like put liquid cocaine yeah. on their dicks and fuck yeah. and stuff like that. Like all, he's like, I don't <laughs> yeah, want to go yeah, to yeah. a hospital. Like he went to like a like a sweat lodge with Native Americans yeah, and all yeah. this stuff. But but people out yeah. there who don't know who Spalding Gray is. He does these like monologues, and they're comedic right. and they're insightful. And he did he would it's almost like a stand-up comedian where you would like for, work on an act for two years, then you travel around and he would perform these monologues. And Soderbergh shot quite a few of them. I think Soderbergh maybe did three with them. I think Grey's Anatomy yeah. is the strongest of them. But he also right. did like Swimming to Cambodia with uh, Jonathan Demme. He right. just he loved doing these monologues. But he and Soderbergh I think were great collaborators. And you also see Spalding Gray popping up in uh, King of the Hill. He yes. Yeah, and he directed that um, uh, documentary about Spalding Gray uh, from after his uh, suicide. But Absolutely. the thing also that I loved about this film is that they keep cutting back to those other people and what they think about what he did to avoid going to a doctor. Like at one point he goes, uh, I, I can't go to the doctor right now. I'm not ready. I have to go to the Philippines. And he goes to see this guy who's a, uh, he says, a psychic surgeon. Which I imagined when he describes him as that guy from Temple of Doom ripping people's <laughs> hearts out. That's how he describes this guy, right? Ripping like diseased parts of their body yeah, off. Yeah, I mean it's stuff. always a sham, I, but when you go see it, they rip it, they yeah. quite literally rip your organs out and like throw them in a bucket and like yeah. you know, it's always but work? it's it's sleight of hand, but for the people there, they totally believe it. It reminded yeah. me of that movie. I don't know if you've seen it um, with uh, Jim Carrey, uh, Man, on Man on the Moon. Yeah, at the very end, he sees and that. Yeah. They, they show like kind of a similar scene to that where he has something in his hand and he dips it in like a uh, like a thing of blood of like uh, a, uh -huh. a dish of blood. And then as he's like kind of like, you know, digging into your you know side, you know, aggressively, he pulls up this thing like he took out this piece of you. Yeah, but it's, right. and it's very dramatic how they kind of shove their fingers into your body and pull right. out all this goo. But for the power right. of belief and like placebo effect and that sort of thing, it does have an impact on somebody. They think they've been healed. But yeah, this documentary was uh, the last time I saw Michael. Oh no, sorry. Every, is it everything is going fine? Is that the documentary? Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. and yes. everything is going yes. fine. It's the documentary about uh, after his suicide because what he had like a, an accident and he had this like horrible hip pain. Is that what led to right. his suicide? Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, I think he described didn't he tell 
Uh, didn't he have someone in his family uh, that his committed mom. suicide? His right. mom committed suicide. Right. So I think that probably uh, played a role. Yeah, I, I, I did. I, I really enjoyed that documentary. But yeah, I've seen um, only uh, Grey's Anatomy one time. I saw it on VHS like in 2000. Mm-hmm. But I was blown away by it. I thought it was, it was... It was great. It comes from Soderbergh's great late 90s period where he was really firing on all cylinders. Yeah, I was very impressed with it. But it was definitely... It, it's a it's like a whole new thing where I, I, I had a hard time really even... Um, uh describing it because it's a mixture of so many things and he's such a great storyteller that you just it's very interesting uh i would have absolutely recommend it to people yeah it's available on criterion collection as well me yeah it's a it's a very beloved movie and yeah spotting gray he's an unusual guy but he is a hell of a storyteller but uh jacob any strong feelings one way or another about gray's anatomy um it was one of the the few films i hadn't seen um, but I did watch it on Criterion, um, that one and the other, the kind of like the companion piece of this, everything is going fine. Um, and I, I was, you know, I didn't love it as, as much as, um, as you guys to put it in my top five, but, um, I thought it was definitely interesting. I didn't know anything about Spalding Gray. I, you know, um, you know, I kind of just, you know, read up on him after. And like Mateus said, he's, he's he is a great storyteller. I think there's even I can't remember in which documentary it's in, but he even, you know, he does something or he's like auditioning for something, and he like goes off and just does it. And they're like, oh, you know, did you write that? And he's just like, no, I just kind of like, you know, I just. I just say what's on my mind and it, it almost feels like, you know, it's so like natural that, you know, it, it it's just really impressive. But um, the one thing that I, that I will say about him is that um, I feel like maybe some of his stories are very uh, embellished. Oh, you yeah. Know? No, like, yeah. Like, Creative like, license, poetic license. Right. Exactly. To, to like to make them even more interesting because he he seems to have like all these things happen to him or just the way they happen to him is very like just kind of very whimsical. And, and um, even <laughs> right. when he's talking to his yeah, dad, he's never going to you know, sacrifice says, oh, a good you, story you, for the sake of the truth. I mean, yeah. I think he, right. he talks to his dad at one point and says, he's all he's like, oh, do you remember when you said that to me? And he's like, his dad's like, I don't remember that. But I guess <laughs> I, that's what you say. But I guess that's what happened. Um, but well, yeah, I. I uh, he, but more inco- very, important um, question for you: What do you think of the show Grey's Anatomy? I've never, <laughs> I've never seen an episode, so I don't have any. I, I probably never will, and I, you know, I don't. <laughs> I mean, there's that that show has nothing for me. So I hear you. But I've um, never seen it, but I am a big fan of ER. It's kind of like ER. I mean, it's a hospital show. Yeah. So if you like hospital yeah, exactly. shows, and it's been going for like 150 years at this point, and people fucking yeah. love it. But I watched the entire first season. I, I very briefly had oh, really? a job. Where, well, when I was doing uh, script coverage in the early 2000s, I was also doing some freelance uh, script coverage for Bruckheimer Television. So it was all wow. television scripts. But at the time, I was totally, completely a blank slate on TV. I was like, shit. I need to get up to speed on like what's cool right now. And so I got the DVD of the first season of Grey's Anatomy, and I wanted to blow my fucking brains out. <laughs> but, you know, I had to be aware of the competitive landscape, so I, sure. I, I did my due diligence. All right. All right, well, where uh, are we? Are we back to yeah. Jacob at number two? Yep. Yeah, so my number two is Solaris. Interesting. Uh, that's a that's an, a left field choice that I did not anticipate. <laughs> Make the case for Solaris, which obviously was the remake of the Andre Tarkovsky film. So full disclosure, I've never seen the Tarkovsky uh, Tar- Tarkovsky uh, yeah. Solaris, so I have nothing to go on here. But I did see this movie in the theater, um, you know, because um, 
when he was on that kind of like when I kind of knew who Soderbergh was like after Traffic and you know Ocean's Eleven and then he did Full Front. Uh, Full Front I also saw in the theater, um, but uh, Solaris. Um, but it's so it's basically you know I don't know how much how close it is to the to the the remake. You know when reading upon it, you know it seems like it's very close. But basically, George Clooney is this um, like a. a uh, psychiatrist, I, I believe, and he goes to. He's asked to go to help a friend of his that's up in the space station that's that's uh, orbiting this this um, planet Solaris because strange things are happening there, and they've had they've sent out like a rescue crew, and that didn't go well, and so they're saying like, well, maybe because of his 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 um, what he knows. Uh, his past and then plus you know his uh, profession that he can maybe help these people um so he gets up to the space station and right away he knows that something is uh, is not right uh you know he sees blood and and you know there's only like a couple people left uh, you know the his friend is already is dead um and so he starts to discover uh through um uh these two characters um you know He's trying to like find out like what happened, and they're basically telling him like, "Well, you'll you'll figure it out like when it happens to you." So what's <laughs> happened is that somebody from your past basically basically gets reanimated as like a person, um, and it's I, I believe it's using like your memories of them to create this this person, and and they're not human, but they're not not you know they are kind of the elements of uh, of human, but um, they're like a facsimile. You know, his wife, you know, committed suicide and, and, you know, he kind of blames himself for that. And, and it's, you know, it just, you know, it's, uh, you know, he gets kind of drawn into, you know, thinking that this person's real and he's going to, he wants to take them back to earth and, you know, kind of start again. But the, that thing that's not his wife, but is playing his wife also starts to discover it has an awareness about, Hey, I'm not actually your wife. You're just I'm just a projection of what you think your wife is or, you know, and so I don't want to like I don't want to continue. I don't want to be. So it, it's very it's very complex because you're you're trying to figure out also like what's the point of like why is Solaris or you know, if that's what's doing this, why is it doing this stuff? Is it to drive people crazy, you know, like um, you know, another appearance by Viola Davis um, you know, in Soderbergh movie, but uh, she plays um uh Gordon and um she's She's very hell bent on like, hey, we can't bring these things back because then if it, the Earth gets infected with all these things that aren't supposed to be there, then that maybe that's how they're going to destroy us and and whatnot. And then um, Jeremy Davies plays Snow. Um, who, you know, I won't ruin it, but there's a twist, you know, with with the whole the whole story with with him. Um, but you know, a, a funny thing I wanted to say though, Jeremy Davies, I always get him confused with Henry, Henry Thomas from ET. I think they have they very look a similar lot of like, features. Oh, absolutely, they, they, they're like, like especially when they have their beard and stuff on. Brothers and like from the another. Way that they, yeah. they, they act, but like I, I always get them confused. But um, Natasha, um, Mc, is it McElhone? Mc, Mc, I don't know. She's from Mc, England, yeah. and I, I loved her like in Ronan. But she's one of the most eerily yeah. beautiful women I've ever seen with those giant she's, eyes, and she is stunning. Like her cheekbones and just like just. I, I remember, you know, I've seen her in the Truman Show, and I've seen her in in, in some stuff. But she just, yeah, she, she just is stunning. And, you know, you could see like, you know, he sees her on a train. That's like how they first meet. And you can see how somebody can, you know, fall in love with the, this woman, you know, just like kind of like, you know, when they say love at first sight. This is the epitome of that, you know, like love at first sight. So, you know, she's she, all the characters are great in this. There's not there's not too many um, actors in it. But, um, you know, it's to me, it's just very 
kind of an emotional movie um, and it asks certain questions about like if you were to lose somebody and you had the opportunity to bring them back, even though that's not that person, you know, would you do that? And, you know, you're kind of wrestling with that. And then, you know, again, it has that twist. And um, it this seems like it has a lot of inspiration to uh, to what one of a movie I like that a lot of people don't like and um, interstellar. Like there's a lot of like scenes, you know, I think taken from that and that obviously 2001, I think there's some, some scenes in there that are influence of from 2001 um, in this movie, but I just, I really love it's this produced movie. by I, James Cameron. But yeah, it's so funny. Like you look at the trajectory of Soderbergh's career, how going from the limey to Aaron Brockovich to traffic to Ocean's Eleven, to Full Frontal, to Solaris. I mean, he's just zigzagging across so many different genres, so many different types of movies. To go from Full Frontal to Solaris, it just shows that he needs variety in his life or he's going to get bored. And so I I applaud him for taking on a Tarkovsky remake because when you start remaking Tarkovsky films, you are just inviting a hell of a lot of resistance from a lot of hardcore cinephiles. But I think for him, it was just an opportunity to do a fresh adaptation of the book because uh, Soderbergh wrote the screenplay for this, which is I think pretty unusual for him just to like, just to fly solo. Although I guess earlier in his career with like Sex Lies and Videotape, obviously he was writing his own screenplay, so he's not afraid to put pen to paper when need be. But Matthias, any strong feelings about Solaris? I really didn't like it that much. Uh, <laughs> it was, uh, well, don't don't yeah. you, don't you I, I mean Jacob? We know he's into boxing, so tread lightly as you criticize his number two. Well, no, no, no. I, you know, the way you describe it sounds really interesting, but I just remember kind of being bored with this movie, and I'm not sure why. Um, but I mean, the idea, of course, is interesting. Like this idea that uh, you're on this spaceship and some planet is basically—it's almost like creating clones, I guess, of uh, of people you know. Uh, so that is interesting, but I don't know. I something about this movie just really didn't interest me that much. Well, I had a trouble with it as well. I skipped it when it came out, and this is like the beginning of my weird period where I wouldn't watch any Soderbergh movies for reasons I can't really fully explain. Uh-huh. But when I watched it recently, I couldn't tell if I was struggling with it because I was watching too many movies, and I was just like, ugh. Like I'm, mm-hmm. I didn't know if I should trust my own instincts. If you remove Natasha from the movie, I think I would find it unwatchable because she's so eerily just astonishingly exquisitely beautiful it was able to hold my attention but in the absence of her i i it would just be the george clooney show and i don't know if i would it would be enough for me so i think for people who like highbrow mysterious science fiction i mean so then it definitely belongs in that family then it's definitely i think would hold a lot of appeal but if people want to see guardians of the galaxy solaris is not going to be their cup of tea so i applaud him for the effort but it didn't necessarily jump out at me like 2001 did which i which i think is a, a more successful film and what it sets out to achieve i think majority of people don't like this movie so i mean you guys are definitely in, in that camp um you know i know i know there are a few defenders and even in our circle i i think i, I want to say i think marcus and maybe maybe the the pink smoke guys um uh might be defenders of this movie but um you know i i i get what you're saying you know with i, I think natasha is you know obviously you know great to look at and she's she's good in the movie um i think george clooney is actually though is he's not to me he's not very george clooney in this movie and also viola davis and jeremy davies are also i think great characters in this movie i think even if you were to take out natasha i think there's still you still have some good acting and you still have some some you know 
you know, I, I love space movies. I love things that like kind of deal with with you know who we are as people, like the humanity and just you know difficult choices and things like that. And and the I, I mean, I will say this. You know, I, I think that most people can't say that the film's look isn't isn't you know second rate or anything. oh yeah, it's they stunning. The, right, the yeah. look of they, it, they went all know, out. The, yeah, when, yeah, when Lightstorm Entertainment makes a sci-fi film, you've got great resources at your fingertips. And then like with with any like like kind of movie that you know is inspired by you know other great movies like they're always going to have that kind of you know uh they're always going to be behind because when you have a movie like 2001 you know that comes out that's like the pinnacle like you're not going to get better than that so you know to like you know like i see a lot of people give uh, christopher nolan shit for interstellar for him trying to like make that him his 2001 but you know it because 2001 has such a high status you're never going to hit that bar it's like you know it's trying to do a high jump on a on a something that's up in the heavens you know but you're never going to do that but you if you could do the best version that you're capable of doing you know like because i really love interstellar like i i know a lot of people don't like that movie and and a lot of people say that nolan doesn't like had connect with with humans but i i was very emotional people say the same about kubrick though they say kubrick doesn't connect with humans but that doesn't mean he didn't make a lot of great movies it's just there are certain directors who are more cerebral and less emotional but if you want emotion you know watch john cassavetes he will give you all the emotion that you want so yeah different different filmmakers that like to emphasize different things well where are we now are we at matthias with his number one I believe so. Uh, I think so, yeah. This is going to be our last mystery one because we already know Jacob's number one. So this is the, <laughs> yeah, our yeah, drum yeah. roll. <laughs> the last mystery film on our And then obviously we'll go into yes. our honorable mentions. But where, where do, what is yes. your number one Soderbergh film? My number one. And it's kind of funny because I had no idea that he directed this. And I hadn't seen it before. But I always saw like the DVD uh, all over the place. But uh, The Informant. Interesting choice. All right. So funny. <laughs> Uh, Matt Damon is great in it. It's about a real guy who expo- he basically exposed that um, it's a company that makes um, what is it, lysine or yeah, something? Lysine. I, it's, I a, it's an amino chemical... acid that makes right. it, that you build uh, one of the building blocks of protein. Right. It's used in a lot of uh, different food, and he exposes that uh, the company he works for is working with some other companies to control the uh, the price of this uh, stuff. And then that's like the first half of the movie is him sort of exposing this and he's the whistleblower. And then the last half of the movie, it's just, yeah, but he's a piece of shit, basically. And he's just lying and lying and lying about stuff that it's like, why are you lying about this? And you have so many great uh, actors in this. A lot of funny actors like Joel McHale or someone like Patton Oswalt is in this. Or Tom or Papa, Tom who's Papa a really funny comedian. Uh, yeah. has his boss. Yeah. It's so funny, but... It's just every time you're like, really? He lied about that too? Like, this guy is just so annoying, but really, really funny. Like, you keep thinking well, he's like is a he combination of pathological liar and genius. And yes. he's basically doing this whistleblowing scheme to cover up yeah. the fact that he's been embezzling millions. Oh, yeah. And he's lying yeah. about that as well. And it's just there, there's so many smoke screens and so many like lies within lies that even he can't really yeah. keep them straight half the time. And his wife right. is trying to stick by him as much as she can. But yeah, it's funny. The, the first half of the movie, you really think is he's just a guy who like maybe he's kind of sad and lonely and doesn't have enough going on in his life. So he's trying to do the right thing. But as it turns out, he's just like this kind of like bungling criminal mastermind who ends right. up getting totally fucking busted. And then somehow like in real life there, he like runs like a company now. Like he, he did like right. his nine years in prison and now he's fine. 
I kept waiting when they showed the the like at the end of the movie and it said like he now runs a company. I kept thinking okay, I I kept waiting for the second line to be he's under investigation for yeah. whatever, you know, but it didn't come, which was a little disappointing, uh but I have to say man, uh like when he tells someone in the company that the FBI are coming to raid the place and they're like why would you tell that like you can't say that to people and he's like well i i didn't want my secretary to be worried okay and it, and you keep thinking well ah oh, isn't he nice isn't he nice no he's he's just he's covering his butt he's he's sabotaging from the inside like he's such an asshole but it is it is so funny watching him kind of use the fact that people underestimate him i guess to his advantage like he's just a complete liar and uh it it was very funny just watching this movie he's he's amazing in it he was really good in it yeah i'd never seen it prior to preparing for this episode my, my only problem with the movie is that after a while i found him to be so loathsome that i was like all right well then like who do <laughs> yeah. i attach myself to like who am i rooting for but right. for as far as matt damon's career performances are concerned it's definitely one of the strongest. I actually think that his best performance for Soderbergh is in Behind the Candelabra, where he, I think... I haven't seen that one yet. Oh, he is so goddamn funny in that. And um, yeah, it's a made-for-TV movie for HBO, but they just right. knocked it out of the park. And now, ladies and gentlemen, Liberace! This is my friend, Scott Thorson. You are incredible out there. Well, this must be fate. Why don't you come work for me? As what? I want to be everything to you, Scott. I want to be father, brother, lover, best friend. I'll do whatever you want. I want you to make Scott look like this. You will make me feel so young. Why would a grown man want to adopt another grown man? So we can be family. All I do is give and give and give. I can't live like this. You're being paranoid, Scott. Are you still? I'm not. I'm upset. Don't change the subject. I don't even have my own face. But yeah, Matt Damon, he is his most frequent collaborator. He shows up like in Shea. He shows up in a million things. He obviously right. shows up in Contagion. He just he just right. keeps popping back up over and over and over again. I think some of Matt Damon's best roles have been through Steven Soderbergh. Right. Well, and of course, he's in all the Oceans movies. But, you know, I don't really love his character, especially in the third one where he keeps wearing that weird fake nose for some reason. That really bothered me. Uh, but he is a good actor uh, when he's uh, when he's working with people who know what they're doing. Absolutely. Well, Jacob, what, what are your thoughts on uh, the informant? So this is exactly why I wanted to do the, an episode with Mateus because <laughs> he pulled this out of left field. I would have never guessed that this would have right? been his number one. But I love it because you know we only had two 
uh, movies that were you know on our on both of our lists so you know we got to run the gamut of you know of uh, more of his movies but um i didn't i, I had to say i didn't love the informant i thought it was it was funny and i thought it was good but it wasn't it wasn't great to me um but uh you know I don't, maybe it's i think my, some of it has to do with matt damon himself i feel like he he's like Kind of like we were talking about Jude Law before. Like I mm-hmm. feel like there was a period where he got overexposed, and he was like just in so much stuff, and it just kind of like, okay, I've had enough of you. You know, you need to go away for a little while. And Jude Law did do that, and he did come out with like something like Dom Hemingway, which I thought was a really fun, uh, good, good flick. Um, so, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, overall the movie, it's 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 not terrible. I mean, it's 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 definitely has, um, uh, you know because it's based on, on true events and stuff. And, and like Mateus was saying, you know, he basically, he's just kind of like this, uh, all shucks guy, but you know, really he, he's got this kind of underlying, uh, evil to him where he's just, you know, he's out for himself. You know, maybe he, I think he's like, just so some people, when they get like a little bit of fame or a little bit of power, they just, it kind of just corrupts them completely and they just go off the rails. And I think that's kind of what this character is. And it well, seems he even like, makes up uh, a story that his parents are dead and that he's adopted, and he keeps spinning <laughs> that same story, which is complete bullshit. Yeah, he's trying to elicit sympathy from people, and it works, and people totally buy into it. And his parents get called, and they're like, "What? Like they're saying that we're dead?" Blah blah blah. It's it just the movie. It's like you're it's like you're going inside like a giant like um, I don't like a, like like a giant seashell, and you just kind of keep getting deeper and deeper and deeper, and just right. seeing just like just how strange this guy really is. This movie reminded me of a movie by I think Richard Linklater did it. Bernie. There's a movie called oh, Bernie. Right, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, it it reminded me. One, but I heard much. I heard Bernie's actually pretty goddamn funny. Yeah. It it, it it like this one has a lot of comedy. You know, it's it it's kind of a serious subject. You know, like uh you know about death and whatnot. But uh, it kind of reminded me of that a lot. I haven't seen it, but I know it's about a guy who um, didn't he kill a few people or something. He was like a funeral home operator or something like that. Yeah, he basically gets married to this this old lady, and he, well, I don't want to ruin it, but uh, I guess you, you you kind of already did. He did kill he kills her, and but like he's such a nice guy that people mm-hmm. can't believe that he did it. And even like when they find out that he did, they're like, ah, well, he's so nice. Like you know, right. let's not throw the book at him. You know, it's right. it's just kind of like you know the development of that. But it's based on I think it's based on a true story. I think so. Yeah. Well, I'm just having a look right now at Soderbergh's entire career, and one thing we haven't really called attention to yet is just how movie, many movies where he operates as his own cinematographer. Oh, yeah. I mean, he yeah. op- he works under the name Peter Andrews, and he even operates as a DP on other people's movies sometimes, like Magic Mike XXL. He did not direct right. it, but he was still the DP. But got almost all of his movies, like High Flying Bird and Unsane and Mosaic and Logan Lucky and The Nick and Magic and like Behind the Candelabra and Side of it, it's just like it's for the last twenty years basically he has been shooting the majority of his movies, and I think he's got a pretty goddamn good eye and a and really interesting photographic style, and he's obviously always experimenting and just. The amount of variety, like there are a lot of like, DPs where you can look at five seconds of any of their work, and like, oh, that's like Gordon Willis, and that's like, like the classic kind of Gordon Willis look. But it's, uh, I just think it's interesting how he just he loves to edit his own movies. He loves to write. Like he's he's got so many different talents as a filmmaker. It's not just he's a director. He's really got his fingers in a lot of different pies, and you know, forty nine credits as a producer. This guy just his output is insane. 
But I need to watch more of his TV work. I watched the first episode of The Nick, and I can't even really handle like hospital stuff. And it almost made me puke right. several times when they're operating on this guy's like <laughs> his fucking like nicked like uh, colon and like shit's going everywhere. And I was just like, uh. I, I I cannot handle that shit. And it's a hospital in New York a hundred years ago, so it's you know right. pretty 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 barbaric. But I just I'm blown away by just his constant output and finding new ways to get passionate and new ways to get excited. But we are officially in the honorable mention period. So I just want to just real real quick, James, I know you don't have a top or maybe you do have a top five, but any that we missed that were not on either one of our lists. I mean, sex lives and videotape for me is, uh, is one of the essentials. I love sex lives and videotape. I think he just absolutely crushed it. Why don't you let me tape you? Doing what? Talking. About what? About sex, your sexual history, sexual preferences. What makes you think I'd discuss that with you? Nothing. And you just want to ask me questions? I just want to ask you questions. That's all? That's all. (laughs) Isn't this how you get off or something? Taping women talking about their sexual experiences? Yes. Would anyone else see the tape? Absolutely not. Nobody else sees the tapes except for me. How long will it take? Well, that depends on you. One woman used up only three minutes, and another used three two-hour tapes. How do we start? I turn on the camera and you start talking. Do I sit or stand? I prefer to sit. Are you ready? Okay, I'm recording. So tell me your name. Cynthia Patrice Bishop. So describe for me your first sexual experience. Um, my first sexual experience or the first time I had intercourse? First sexual experience. I actually don't like that movie. Oh, interesting. Pourquoi? Yeah. Really? I, I just, I, you know what? I, I remember seeing it. I rewatched it for this episode, but um, I remember seeing it when it like when it came out on video and hearing you know during that that era like all the independent movies and hearing about it. And I remember being very underwhelmed by it. I was just kind of like, oh well, it's just like kind of a basic story, you know, like this guy's cheating on his wife with this guy's sister, and you know, and then this other guy comes in a friend and he's a little weird or you know he has this little this right. thing with the videotapes he and likes then, to jack off to girls talking about their sexual experiences. Yeah, and and I know a lot, a lot of people love that movie, and they you know, probably some would say it's his best movie. And so I went, you know, I revisited for this, you know, rewatching all these these movies, and I was 
still underwhelmed. I was just kind of like, yeah, you know, it's okay, but like, oh, that's it's so not- interesting because it, it makes me shriek with laughter. I, I just fucking howl when I'm watching it. I absolutely love it. But I think also Schizopolis is one of his most interesting movies and just deranged, like how people just start speaking Chinese halfway through. Right. And then, like the Soderbergh, like, plays the lead. Like, I think Schizopolis is such a fun, light, entertaining experimental movie so i think those He's are two of my favorite actor actually yeah and, he does uh, just fine i, I yeah. really like uh there's the 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 exterminator guy elmo that what is that and the way he um, he talks to his wife, where he comes in and he's like generic greeting, generic greeting returned. And Absolutely, like, huh? What, what's going on? And then also um, the guy who was in uh, Ocean's Eleven as the computer guy, he plays a uh, nameless yeah. numberhead man or something. Yeah, it's like cute, really, cute mate. Which really is cool weird. seeing how, like, when his career's in trouble, he just threw the rule book out the window. It's like, I'm going to get a crew uh, of four or five people and yeah. completely reinvent the wheel. And I think it shows so much courage on his part as a storyteller to just throw caution to the winds and do that, that right. tightrope, tightrope act. And I think it was a great way of kind of flushing out the cobwebs and giving him a, a, a new beginning or a fresh start, getting back to basics. And it was after Schizopolis that suddenly you have this giant career resurrection. And I think Schizopolis right. played a, a huge role in that and just getting excited about filmmaking again. Well, I have to say, as far as uh, Sex, Lies, and Videotape goes, I really like Peter Gallagher. I only knew him as the guy from... Uh, like he's in... The player. He's on... Larry Levy. No. Habeas no, Corpus, actually, baby. Not, Habeas Corpus. Not even that. Not even that. But uh, he's on uh, Grace and Frankie. Uh, he was on <laughs> that show a couple times. And I was like, oh, that's that's that guy. I really liked his movie, um, uh, The Underneath. I thought that was pretty cool with uh, William Fitchner. Is that his I really first liked. heist? Yeah, I think that's, that's technically his first heist movie. I mean, yeah, I think so. Yeah. He's, he's, I yeah. really like that. He's made a lot of great so many fucking heist movies. <laughs> that's that's really another right. another uh, uh, Allison Elliott. I had a little crush on her, too. Gotcha. Uh, really? All right, well, let's let's start some honorable mentions. So, uh, Jacob, g- give us uh, one of your favorite honorable mentions. So, um, so one that nearly made my list um, was uh, behind the ca- candelabra. I love it. Um, I, I was yeah. I I, sh- I screamed with laughter watching this movie. Yeah, it's a, it's a very good you know it's in taking this character of Liberace and just who's just already a character within Flamboyant. himself. You know, <laughs> yeah. But um, you know, I I thought you know Michael Douglas was great and Matt Damon was really good in it and uh, Rob Lowe is you know. Yeah, I think Rob Lowe is actually really, really funny. Oh, the that. way and he that, like kind of you know, one eye doesn't quite yeah. close all the way. And I love he's how like so much like plastic surgery. After they can't, give like, move his Michael face. Douglas his surgery, he's like, "Am I going to be able to close my eyes?" And they're like, "Not all the way, but you're going to look beautiful." I was like, "What yeah. the fuck?" <laughs> I mean, the 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 shit Liberace was doing to his body, how he had like surgical implants so that he could be hard whenever he wanted to, so he could like fuck five <sighs> times a day. He's like a six year old man. I mean. This, it just when people start fucking with their face and fucking with their dicks and just like chopping off parts of their body and adding other parts on, it's hard mm-hmm. to know where to stop. And just this whole idea of Liberace wanting his boyfriend to look like the young Liberace, and they just keep changing them and changing them and changing them. It is such a deranged, strange story. And just seeing like Matt Damon walking around with like silver mankinis and that sort of thing, it just <laughs> it was so goddamn funny. But Michael Douglas, you know. When I was a kid, he was just a massive star doing constant stuff. This was a brilliant – and I love seeing him in the Marvel movies and things like that. But seeing him in Behind the Candelabra is a fresh reminder of his chops as an actor. He just knocked that role out of the park. I still I think haven't he was, seen it. 
Oh, you got to see it. It's, yeah, it was made for really HBO good. right when he was starting to do his self-imposed exile from movies. It was kind of like his his farewell. It's uh, I, I think it's definitely uh, an undiscovered gem in his filmography. He, I think, I believe he won an Emmy for that, right? It wouldn't surprise yeah. me. Yeah, be a Golden he Globe. He won something. Yeah. For, yeah. Yeah. No, he. It's 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 really good. It's it, you know when. I know in back in the day, if you heard like TV movie, you would think like, ah, it's probably like watered down. But this is HBO and it's like, you know, it, it doesn't pull any punches. It's not and, TV, you know. it's HBO. Yeah. Well, any so, any, I mean, any love out there between either of you guys for Magic Mike, which is also from the same period? I thought, well, that was one of my honorable uh, honorable mentions. I thought it was really good. Um, there's not actually that much stripping in it. Uh, well, we do get to see uh, Olivia Munn, which is always nice. Yeah, she, but she, I have she to is say, naked uh, in it, yeah. Exactly. Uh, but I have to say, uh, it was actually, I wasn't sure what to expect. You know, I only knew like, oh, it's about male strippers yeah, or something. it's a Channing Tatum but, biopic, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I always read about it. But I have to say, I thought it was uh, actually pretty, pretty good. The uh, only time I, I watched that, it uh, was actually, I was actually yeah. hooking up with a girl who was obsessed with both of the Magic Mike movies. And so she uh-huh. made me watch Magic Mike while we were getting it on. And I think she was trying to see if like, if I could like, if she could like, pull some like sort of sort of bi curious reaction out of me and she would like kind of like attack me during certain scenes to see if I would like respond to what was on the screen. It was a very strange night. But so that was my uh-huh. that was my one experience with magic right. night. Well I like the woman that uh, uh Cody Horn who plays um the 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 guy's uh, sister that Magic Mike uh, ends up uh, uh falling in love with. I write, I really liked her. Um at one point you see the one guy what was his name? Snake something. Uh, and he's pumping up his dick. That was really weird uh, to see. That makes me wonder, like, I wonder, like, that can't be healthy. Like, there, have, there has it's to be something And it's probably more information people want to know about. But the, the, the dick pumps are essentially, like, it's you're creating, like, the morning wood sensation because you uh. cut off the circulation where blood can go in, but it can't come back out, which is how, like, when your legs are pressed together, how morning wood happens. And so you're just basically, uh. you're artificially creating, like, a morning wood scenario. Okay. Well, just in I case y'all are interested really in, uh, no, in, no, in, no. In, in in experimenting, but yeah, Matthew McConaughey's pretty goddamn funny. He's like, you he know, like, like the law. Like, what's the line? Like, the law says you like we can't you can't touch us, but oh, uh, right, yeah. looks like we got a lot of lawbreakers in out there, or something like, something along yeah. those lines. But yeah, yeah, you yeah, can yeah. tell they're having just the time of their lives doing this movie. Right. Uh, as far as honorable mentions go, I had Traffic, but we talked about that. I had Unsane, which we did talk about. Um, Unsane really like kind of fucked me up. That last final yeah. shot of her when she's leaving, and you get the freeze frame as she's leaving the the building. I was like, it's right, almost yeah. like a taxi driver. I'm like, oh my god, she's still fucked yeah. up. Like, who knows what might what, yeah. what what the future might hold for her? But when you see her kind of looking down at the guy, there's that terrifying shot of her face, and then she rushes out of the right. restaurant. I thought it was like the perfect way to bring the movie to a close. And it was a really violent, savage, fucked up movie. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I think. Um, I haven't seen a lot of movies with Claire Foy yet, but uh, after seeing her in that, I was like, all right, I'm going to see everything with Claire Foy from now on. She just right. knocked it right. out of the park. Avoid the dragon movie, though. Uh, <laughs> How dare you? Yeah. It's a Sony movie. It's not good. <laughs> uh, yeah, but she was just in the second one, right? Not the first one? Wasn't no, it's that the... Mara, actually? So it's actually the the fourth of the books. Right. So they, so they, they have the... Yeah, but it was not written Swedish, by Steve Larson. It was after he or, died. Was it Norwegian or Swedish versions yeah. with... Uh, What's her name? Uh, Umi Rapaz. Yeah. Yeah. And then, then they only did the David Fincher. They only did the one. Right. I think that the intention was they were going to do all of them, but because right. that, that one didn't do very well, 
they just kind of like basically. It was a very expensive R-rated it. movie, and by that point, right. the whole Stieg Larsen craze had cooled off. Like when those books came out, they were a phenomenon, and then it just kind of fizzled. And now nobody knows who that like who Liz was. It's Liz Salander. Liz Salander. Yeah, and she's such a great character. Like she could easily be the the star of like twenty movies if they handle it correctly. But sure. from what I heard, that the uh, the latest movie was just kind of a. A generic thriller in a lot of ways, and it didn't have the edge right. or the teeth of the three books. Right. Well, even the original trilogy of films, uh, it's just the first one that's really good, and the other two I didn't really like that much. Gotcha. Uh, one more. Any uh, love out there for High thing. Flying Bird? Uh, that's brand new on uh, Netflix. Right. I, I liked it. I liked it. I liked uh, it. Bill Duke, especially uh, when uh, he makes people say, uh, "I love uh, God's beautiful black people." Every time someone brings <laughs> up slavery, great. that was really funny. Oh, he's so good in it. And I like yeah. Andre Holland. Andre Holland ra- rapidly right. get, racking up a lot of great film credits. He was in the Nick for Steven Soderbergh as well. But uh, he, he's oh, a okay. he's a really strong actor, and yeah, I, I, I liked his character quite a bit. And I, I don't watch a lot of sports movies because I just don't follow a lot right. of sports. But I was really impressed by High Flying Bird, and I, it kind of flew under the radar recently, but it's right. relatively brand new. And uh, I really yeah. like the girl who played uh, Domino in uh, Deadpool 2. Oh, right, yeah, Saucy Beats. Yeah, she, she's damn good in it. I like her, too. Um, and also uh, the, the woman from uh, The Wire, I forget what her name is, but she was in it, yeah. too. The, Sonya something? Sonya yeah. Son or something like that? Yeah, I forget what her name is, but I like her too. Yeah, she's also uh, in Star yeah. Trek Discovery as Michael Burnham's mom. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, which is appealing to nobody, but I, I do watch Star Maybe Trek Discovery, Becky. so but I, I spend most of my time saying um, yeah. unkind things about it. So, yeah. I Flying Bird was interesting, though, in the way – because I, I don't really consider it a sports movie because it's about, like, the sports agent the business, more so yeah. than it is about the, the actual sport of basketball. And, again, this is – it has um, the Soderbergh, I guess, uh, you know, criteria of being kind of clever. You know, it has, like, a little bit of a twist of, like, how this guy is able to almost be threatened by his boss to, you know, do something, and then he just – kind of like flips it all and does it all behind the nobody, scenes yeah yeah nobody really knows what his actual plan is and they think that oh this guy's totally you know he's blowing it and and when it turns out is that he actually not only did he help his clients but himself he's and a master people. strategist yeah he's got a long game that he's playing very successfully and that, that was fascinating and i like the way it incorporated the documentary footage of the basketball players being interviewed about the game and what it's like so yeah i, I thought the high flying bird was a very solid flick uh, I have one last honorable mention. Uh, I really liked uh, The Good German. I thought that was a very good film. And I had no idea that was a Soderbergh film. I actually thought that um, it was that movie with um, uh, Figo Mortensen. He has a movie with some similar title. I thought it was that one, actually, but it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, I think as an experiment, I found it interesting, like how shot in the 4 by 3 Academy ratio from that period. Like They did everything in their power to resurrect that classic right. early 40s Warner Brothers style, even the posters exactly. and homage to Casablanca. And like we mentioned before, it was an experiment with doing the type of camera movements and the kind of blocking and the kind of staging that was utilized back in the early 40s that is the total polar opposite of Soderbergh's uh, normal approach. Um, Tobey Maguire was a little weird in it, but I did like um, Kate Blanchett. I thought Blanchett. it was good. And so, yeah, that, that was an interesting one. But it's interesting how so far this kind of, this whole uh, conversation, we no love of any kind for Shea, part one or part two. I was two. just going to mention that. 
Yeah, I, I mean, and that, that's the big that. giant whopper passion project of his career. Oh, yeah. And uh, it, I'm surprised that neither of y'all have even brought it up uh, even in passing. Well, I, I was about to. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, I have to say, I thought the first one uh, was uh, was better than the second one, especially because you have, you know, on the one hand, you have the uh, invading Cuba and, and overthrowing the uh, dictator. And then on the other hand, you have the scenes in New York where uh, he's uh, about to speak at the U.N., uh, I thought it was really cool, but uh, ultimately, you know, I just liked the other films better. But I, I think it is a really solid movie. I was really surprised to see that Terrence Malick uh, was involved with it a he, little he bit. He was going to do it he, first, uh, yeah. And I, yeah. I'm glad I saw it. I don't know if I'll ever watch these again, but I did, no. <laughs> and I did uh, at least appreciate what they were trying to do. But it's just when you see just how fast and riveting and entertaining some of it, like when you watch Lo- if you watch Logan Lucky and then you watch Shay, you might right. cut your own throat. Like it's just a very different approach to filmmaking. But it's one of his yeah. great big passion projects. And I like the actor uh, Damian uh, Bashir who plays oh, Fidel Castro. Yeah. He's great. Yeah, he, he he's a really good actor. Well, he's one of those actors, kind of like. Um, uh, uh, Joachim Almeida, who's in the second part of it, uh, where they can play pretty much anything and you believe that they're from there. Like, he's one of those guys where you're not quite sure where he's from when you see him. Yeah, he's, uh, he's, so he he's plays, actually from uh, Mexico City. That's where he's born. He, he was like in like Hateful oh, really? Eight and that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, he's he's a, a chameleon. He, he's, a, he's a marvelous actor. Exactly. Yeah, I think he's really impressive. Uh, one more thing about. Uh, <laughs> Full Frontal, I thought it was a really weird movie, but Catherine Keener in that movie is so funny when she throws that uh, blow-up globe at people and she's like, name all the countries in Africa yeah. right now. <laughs> and it's, it's the and one girl nails thing. it. <laughs> one girl, yeah. yeah, she just uh, kind of visualizes the map. All right, well, what yeah. about movies that y'all dislike? I've got a couple that... Well, actually... I mean, if I could do a couple more on... Oh, but bring, bring, bring them on, sure. yeah. Um, so, I mean, I know we talked about... Um, uh, you know, like a bunch of his movies, like towards the later half of his career, because he kind of has a, a weird. He had kind of a early career, middle career, and like a mm-hmm. later career. A lot of stages, um, you know. yeah, yeah. But I really, I, so um, Contagion was another one that I really oh, liked. It's um, terrifying. It's yeah, it's almost uh, too realistic and almost too yeah. well done because it's 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 hard to watch. It's it doesn't let you come up for air at all. Um, and then Haywire, um, we talked about. Right. Um, I thought the girlfriend experience was an, in, you know, it was interesting in the in the sense of like what it was trying to tell of of this this woman, you know, who has a boyfriend but that is a call girl and like her, like just how they just kind of like interact with each other and it's kind of a look into that and she's being interviewed for this magazine and then she thinks that maybe she's going to be interested in this guy and so it's it's it has a lot of like I think like. As far as an experimental film, I think it has a lot. It's saying a lot of different I things. I actually that, did enjoy the girlfriend experience, and it was actually. I mean, this is going to sound. I mean, people always think I'm such a raging pervert, but it was actually my introduction to Sasha Gray. I'd never seen any of her porn ever, so I watched that and I was like, "Wow!" Like, all right, she's she, she's obviously astonishingly beautiful. And I, what I didn't realize though is that the type of porn she does is like, or did she? She did porn only for a couple of years. And made so much money. Yeah. She's set for life but she regards herself as like a sexual athlete and i was like sexual athlete that's interesting but it there's like a huge physical challenge kind of component to her porn where it's like just how much crazy filthy grotesque stuff can you do and that's not the kind of porn that i watch like i don't like watching gag porn i don't like watching choking porn i don't like watching any of that kind of stuff and she's like 
the fucking Greta Garbo of all that really <laughs> aggressive, violent porn, like, you know, really aggressive, nasty orgies with like all kinds of butt sex. And it's just like, Wah! like, it's just, it's, it's, just, it's overwhelming. But she made, I mean, from like 18 to 21, vast sums of money. And now she can do whatever the fuck she wants with the rest of her life. And she like writes character driven indie dramas. And yeah, she seems to uh, have total command and control over the direction of her life. I'm really impressed by Slasher Gray, even though I don't like to watch the porn that she made. And then a couple other, we, we talked about Full Frontal, you know, I actually own that movie and I thought that, that it's a, it's, to me, it's a very funny movie. It's, it's, you know, I know it's like a day in the life of, of, you know, it's, you know, it's got a lot of problems that, you know, I think that people would have with it, but it, it, I think it's worth a look if you Julie can Roberts find it. Julia Roberts is really good. And then, then, I thought she nailed it. Right. Well, and then and, uh, the scenes in the theater with uh, the guy putting on the play where he plays Hitler. Hitler. Those yeah. are funny. Yeah. It's oh, that same guy I keep talking about. Yeah. He, he, he's yeah. hysterical. Yeah. And then um, I know I know you guys don't uh, you guys mentioned you didn't like it, but I actually I did enjoy the the first Ocean's Eleven. I didn't enjoy the the sequels. I thought they were trying to be they're kind of like trying to be too clever uh, for right. clever's sake. Right. But I thought you know I thought what I I've never seen the original Ocean's Eleven, but I've heard it's terrible. But what this is the to me this is the perfect example of you know. Um, of remaking terrible movies instead of trying to remake like classics. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I, I'm going to be rolling in my grave the day that they, you know, try to remake The Godfather or Goodfellas right. or you know some of these movies because I know it's going to happen. Yeah. But I hope I'm not around to see that because I think it's just going to be it's nothing. It's going to be nothing but but trash. They're remaking The Wild Bunch. Ugh. And Mel Gibson <laughs> doing it. And Mel Gibson directing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So uh, yeah. I'll, I'll see it, but Wild Bunch is one of my all-time favorite movies, so I'm obviously dubious. But when it comes to movies by him that I think I uh, would not recommend, I think Bubble might be my least favorite movie right. in his filmography. It's got non-actors, barely anything resembling a screenplay, and that was, right. it was the last feature that I watched out of all of them. Oh, really? And so I had already hit a total brick wall. I was ready to tap out. And I was like, <laughs> "Fuck Soderbergh, I'm done." Right. So yeah, that that well, DVD. I actually long, didn't mind. So. I didn't mind Bubble. Oh, I, that I DVD's okay. going in the trash I, for me. But the thing is, you know, because he, he did a smart thing by making it. It's it's a very short movie. It's an hour and right. thirteen minutes long. So you know, we don't. I mean, we don't really get to the 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 meat of the story until about I think it's like almost forty five minutes yeah, it's almost in. Over, then, right. Yeah. yeah. But I, I, I think that was kind of smart. You know, he could have done what I think a lot of directors would have done, which is make this little story into a two-hour, you know, epic, and then you're just basically bored for another, you know, fifty minutes. But uh, I didn't mind it that much. It was my first time seeing it, though. Yeah, I think when another guys, uh, uh, another yeah. limp one in his filmography is this classic sophomore slump, which happens to novelists, it happens to bands, uh-huh. happens to filmmakers, but Kafka. I think it's a very right. worthy experiment, and I like how it's got Alec Guinness, and I like how it's black and white. But if you're going right. to watch anything based on Kafka, watch Orson Welles' film, The Trial. But Kafka, for me, is like very, very lukewarm water compared to The Trial. And yeah, Kafka, man, I, I've been putting off watching it for like over 20 years, and let's just say it was precisely the snooze fest that I anticipated it would be. Black and white for a little bit. It was a little bit of color. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, colors, yeah, yeah. once he gets into the castle... You know, it's funny, his two assistants are named uh, Oscar and Ludwig, but when I first heard it, I thought they said Orest and Ludwig, and I was like, oh, Orest that's Ludwig, a yes, my trainer. trainer. Uh, yeah, that's so funny. 
And also Teresa Russell. I mean, I'll, I'll watch anything. She's, she's incredible. In. Yeah, I'm a huge Teresa uh, Russell and, fan. Uh, there's a Dutch actor in there, uh, Jeroen Krabbe, who was also uh, who was the dad in King of the Hill, which actually was pretty yeah. good as well. I like that. He's movie a good too. actor. I, I always like him in yeah. pretty much everything I see him in. But yeah, King of the Hill is one of the big surprises. I had known about it for forever because when I worked at a video store in college, we had everything right. organized by director's last name. So I was always looking at the '90s era of Soderbergh up on the rack. And I was like, all right, one of these days I'm going to watch that. One of these days I'm going to watch it. But I just kept putting it off but i love the dancing scenes with the girl who's got epileptic right. seizures right and i love just how self-reliant this kid was it's a great memoir it's a great period piece it's got great yeah. music a bunch of great actors like for people who like coming of age stories of like watching kids trying to get by on just their own ingenuity i i, I was pretty much impressed across the board i thought adrian brody was great in it i, I really oh, did yeah. enjoy Spalding it Gray's in that movie right i'm sorry yeah yeah he's yeah. great he's great in it yeah karen allen's in there but somehow that movie, it, and it's been Catherine released Heidel. on Criterion, but King yes. of the Hill is just one of those forgotten movies from 1993, but well worth a look. Absolutely. And Elizabeth McGovern, I think a very young Elizabeth McGovern. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and Ned. Catherine Heigl, uh, like you just yeah. mentioned. Uh, yeah. Going back to uh, what you said, though, about what that, that uh, Jerome Crabbe, is it Crabbe? Yeah. Well, Crabbe, but yeah, that's okay. I, I remember, well, sorry. Uh, I re- <laughs> I remember him from, uh, I, I think my first exposure to him was, um, he was in Jumping Jack Flash, that Whoopi oh, Goldberg yeah. movie, where he yeah. plays uh, Meter or something, Van Meter or something like that. Uh, but, well, he's uh, in the James Bond movie, too, uh, yeah. I think Living Daylights, and yeah, think uh, so. he's in The Fugitive. But his best for me, by far, Paul Verhoeven, The Fourth Man, 1983. Yes. The Fourth Great Man movie. is the shit. If you want to see yes. Hi- Alfred Hitchcock on acid with like full frontal nudity and bisexuality, oh, just yeah. bananas, The Fourth Man is fucking insane. And he's, re- he's really good. <laughs> what did you guys think of uh, The Underneath? I really like that one, too. Yeah, I that was toward the end. So I had a little trouble staying focused, but I, I do like a good heist movie, and I like Peter Gallagher, and it's got uh, it's a, a little nudity with Elizabeth Shue, which is always uh, which is always welcome. So right. yeah, it it wouldn't be like if I was going to recommend a heist movie, I would say watch Out of Sight. Watch, I mean, The Limey's not a heist sure. movie, but if you're going to watch some of his crime movies, Out of Sight, The Limey, and Logan Lucky, I think you can't go wrong with any of those. I think all three of those are some of his best movies that he's ever made. So th- those are my go tos when it comes to his crime films. I felt yeah, it, it almost good, like, uh, yeah, it was almost like a Michael Mann movie. It was very stylish, uh, very much uh, uh, in the way that he shoots through like colored windows and glasses and all that kind of thing. But I really liked it. And I was happy to see uh, William Fitchner in a pretty big role because he tends to, you know, have very small roles in uh, in films. But I really like him as an actor. So it was really cool seeing him in uh, something. He's a great actor, but I think he, he's. Yeah. He's never. I don't think he's ever going to be the leading man. He's like kind of like no. he, he's like the character actor that you you know you that he can make a pretty good career out of. Did you guys yeah. anybody see um, the episode of Eros that he did? No, that's the the erotic short film that he did. There's three uh, short oh, films. Oh yeah, by, I did see that. Yeah, no, I thought you said I didn't watch Eros. all of them. I just yeah. watched I just watched uh, Soderbergh's for this this episode. Yeah, me uh, too. With uh, Robert Downey Jr. and he's just like kind of with uh, is it Alan Alda? Things Alan. Uh, yeah, as the doctor. No, Alan it's Alan Arkin, right? Yeah, and he's just like you know, he's sitting down and telling him his troubles, and Alan Arkin's like doing all this like weird stuff, yeah. like. You know. So is it worth a look? Because I've not seen that short film. I mean, it's short. It, you know, it, it's it, to be a completionist. Well, bu- bu- can, bubble is short, but I didn't like Bubble. <laughs> it's oh, shorter. It's much than shorter that. than that. Yeah, it's because it's part of a three. You know, the the full movie is an hour and forty four minutes. Okay. So out of the, 
section. So it's probably like I don't know, maybe forty minutes long, but uh, maybe even shorter. But um, yeah, it's 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 worth a look. It's not it's not anything great. I don't think anybody's going to really remember him. It's not going to go on his tombstone, let's just say. But uh, but it's incredible. You know, it's, Here we are, 2019, and because he got started so young. I mean, he's he was born in 1963 in January, so he's what 56 years old now. And he's made so many movies and so many TV shows and so many videos and so many short films. But he, if he wishes to, he could easily work another 20 years and have a yet another whole new stage and a whole new era. And I just wonder, like, when will he run out of new horizons that he wishes to explore? And, like, will, when will he run out of new experiments? And I, I, I don't – I mean, he just – I guess he's a constant source of inspiration because he just shows that if you keep changing things up, you can – kind of reinvent yourself indefinitely and his longevity is truly extraordinary the fact that he's had at this point now a 30-year career with a hell of a lot of ups and downs and he just keeps reinventing himself keeps surviving keeps pushing on and i think you can make a case for like the last 10 years being maybe his most juicy period like his, his the last 10 years has just been phenomenal so i really look forward to uh what the future might bring and so i will not be taking another 10 year hiatus from watching his movies like i did in the the early 2000s where i just completely utterly le- like left him behind but the the laundromat is his next movie and it's based on a book right. by Jake Bernstein and it reunites him with screenwriter Scott Z Burns but oh another uh frequent collaborator we've got to mention also is Cliff Martinez He's done the right, scores for shitloads of his movies, but Cliff Martinez has also done a lot of like uh, a Nicholas Winding Refn movies, like Drive and stuff like that. So yeah, Cliff Martinez is the shit. Well, I have to say, with a lot of these movies, I'm I'm looking at my notes. With a lot of these movies, I wrote down, oh, good music. So he definitely uh, he he has worked with a lot of uh, great musicians for his uh, soundtracks. Absolutely, without question. Well, any final thoughts by either of you guys on his career, what it represents, favorite movies, blah blah blah. But this is now your, now's your chance for your your closing remarks, if you will. Would you guys a, a quick question? Would you guys consider him an auteur? Well, I think a lot of the movies he does, he doesn't write them. Uh, I, I mean, mean a lot of wrote- them. Sex Laws and Videotape, right. and he wrote Solaris, right. and like yeah, I mean, he's definitely got a lot of screenwriting credits in there. I think he wrote, did he write the, no, it was Lim Dobbs. I think he did the line. But anyway, so he 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 dabbles, he scribbles. Right. I th- I mean, the auteur theory was developed at a time when most directors were not writing their movies. So I don't think writing is a requirement. Like in the because the, the basically the auteur theory in the 1950s, they were looking at filmmakers like Howard Hawks, who never wrote anything. But he worked with a lot of reliable right. writers. But they were looking for certain fingerprints and stylistic motifs across an entire filmography. And just the idea of like right. a filmmaker being the author of a film just by virtue of having directed. But back then, directors exercised so much less control over their films. So I think by virtue of the original interpretation of the auteur theory, yes. However, Soderbergh never uses the possessive on his films. It never says like a Steven Soderbergh film. It never says like Steven Soderbergh's out of sight. He shies away from that. He's got a much more democratic approach and he's much more willing. he says he doesn't like it. Yeah, he's much more willing to share credit. So I think he would push back on whether or not he's an auteur. But I think his admirers who notice certain stylistic similarities in terms of the music, his photographic style, his editing style. I think you can you can feel his fingerprints all over a lot of his movies. So I would say he's an auteur, I, even if he would disagree, probably. I feel like a lot of, but there's there's a bunch of his movies though too that I, if you didn't tell me he directed them, right. I would have never guessed it. So like I think that's it's very interesting that you know he's the kind of artist that he's developed into where he's almost. Sometimes, you know, I mean, there are obvious... Like The Good German versus Schizopolis. Those are two very good yeah. movies. 
I mean, it just it just it's crazy that he's able to kind of in a way be a chameleon where you can he can put out a movie that's completely you know it's not heist related or, or anything like that and you're just be like wow that that's that's a Soderbergh movie yeah, like you know like, yeah, it's insane to Magic Mike like he is a true genre right. hopper and yeah that's one of his greatest uh, strengths. Flying Bird like even his latest one yeah. I mean it's it's to me it's like it's you know very different from uh, you know what his normal uh, stuff I mean it has the the whole kind of like twist and and cleverness to it but uh, yeah it's a yeah he's very very interesting so I'm I'm glad that you guys were you know, hopefully you guys didn't get too burnt out on 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 uh, well, seeing all these movies. Yeah, I mean, it, it was a lot to watch. And I think the the burnout only came because I was preparing for other episodes at the same time, and I was just like, oh, okay, I'm seeing too many movies. <laughs> but this is an episode that's been requested many times, so uh, I was oh, glad really? that we finally got a chance to uh, to throw down and deliver on this topic. Well, I'm just happy that uh, that I was introduced to uh, really how much work he's done. I mean, I had no idea. Uh, I've been kind of sleeping on this. Uh, so it's been a great experience just really discovering his filmography. Well, it's cool reuniting you guys. And uh, maybe next time when I reunite you guys, we'll just pick one movie <laughs> as a reward and we'll make, we'll make <laughs> right. it a nice, easy, bite-sized chunk. And maybe, maybe, maybe pick a, like a good boxing movie or something like that or a boxing right. documentary or something like that. But yeah, do something where the, uh, the, the workload up front is less considerable because this was definitely uh, quite a mountain to climb <laughs> yeah well where can people find you online if they want to talk about Soderbergh or whatever uh, I'm uh, at Matt R says on Twitter uh, where I pretty much live so uh, I'm always happy to talk about anything with people uh, who want to Mr. Rivera yeah um, I can be found on Twitter um, JRATM23 that's where I do I, I, you know, I don't get to spend as much time as I'd like on there, but um, we do have a, a pretty cool community. Like I, I do like a little our little side conversations that we have, you know, and and you know, again, it was an honor to be on with uh, Mateus again. You know, I just I'm a big fan of him, and you know, check out his his other episodes of Wrong World. They're, they're really great. You know, he he exposed me to a lot of like different different stuff that you know that I I've grown to like a lot. So any um, written posts by either of you guys for like Film Eighty Nine or anything like that that y'all want to plug or promote or any other podcast appearance y'all want to y'all want to promote. Uh, no podcasts, but uh, definitely a couple of like uh, trailer uh, blog posts uh, for a film inquiry that should be up sometime soon. So that's coming. Uh, I wrote about that uh, Gemini Man trailer. Did you see that? Yeah, the Ang Lee flick. Oh my god! I, when are they gonna stop with this weird looking CGI? It doesn't work. <laughs> it's just so it's like, come on, man. It could be worse. That, they could have cast his son. Well, <laughs> I, well, that might well. I mean, yeah, probably not his son, but like you after can. After seeing I'm After sure Earth, I never want someone. to see his son in another movie. Like he, his son's got right. this weird thing where he, he kind of talks like baby talk. Like he's never quite learned how to pronounce his words. And yeah, I am not a fan of Jaden. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm. I've just. I don't know how hard is it to find someone who kind of looks like him, and then you just. You know, maybe slap some makeup on. Well, like or Looper, where they did Joseph Gordon. Was that Joseph Gordon Levitt yeah. and uh, Bruce yeah. Wells, where they just kind of well, did a little engineering and they, uh, yeah. they they made it made it work. Well, it worked for uh, uh, yeah. Straight Outta Compton, where they used um, yes. Ice Cube's son, I think. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Who looks he, like he was made he was in really a lab to look like his dad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's pretty crazy. Uh, it does make me worry about the Scorsese uh, film, The Irishman, which is out later this year. Because I think they're doing a similar thing, right? Where they're yes. making them look younger Different for periods certain of scenes. Jimmy Hoffa's so, life, yeah. 
Mm. Sometimes it really can work, like in the beginning of a Captain America Civil War, Robert Downey Jr., they show him as a young man with his parents. And I was like, good God, he looks like he did in fucking weird science like 30 years ago. I was completely caught off guard by how convincing it was. But there are other times where it can look really weird. But like, there's a scene in uh, Avengers Endgame where Michael Douglas appears in the 70s. And you're like, God damn, you look just like you fucking did, like pre-Romancing the Stones. So it's all about just like how well they pull it off. But it can be weird if if something seems odd off exactly and i do a, a couple more plugs um so actually i, I actually went to a fight last night nice. and uh, so i i, I do G- give the um, date just because this episode's not going to go up for a bit just to kind of give people some content. uh the 26th so it was a rare a fight on a friday night well, for a big fight they, they do have smaller fights on friday nights and and other nights too but this is like kind of a bigger fight but it was really good it was at the forum here in inglewood uh close to me but yeah, so I'm I'm gonna try to do a, a review of that fight, and um, I usually uh, guest host on a podcast uh, called the Pound for Pound Boxing Report, um, where they talk you know, basically everything that has to do with boxing. We do previews, we do recaps, we just you know the news and everything that's going on. But um, I also wanted to give a shout out to a frequent um, guest on Wrong Reel and just a friend of the of the podcast, um, uh, Ganesh Nair. He came out with a, a new book. Uh, Duckett and our novel, Duckett and Dyer, Dicks for Hire. So Interesting. Can... Yeah, he's been working on it for a while, but I, 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 yeah. I didn't see that he'd finally put it out. Yeah, so I think you can go, you, uh, if you go to his uh, site, um, uh, I think it's, I can't well, remember. Because he's got one site, there's Make, Make Mom Marvel, where he, like, he, yeah. he makes his mom right. watch Marvel movies and Marvel shows. <laughs> What is it? It's like DSDF or something. I don't know. Well, you could probably find, I mean, you know, just get creative. You can look at the previous episodes or whatever, but uh, yeah, you know, support him out. You can get his book and, and, uh, you know, you know, support the friend of the show. Beautiful. We hope you all have enjoyed this episode. Please remember to leave us a rating and review and that sort of thing on iTunes. It's always very helpful to the show. And if you want to talk to my big, bald, beautiful head, you can find me on Twitter at Colbrax when I'm there pretty much all all day, every day, shooting the shit with different people. So I'm always around, ready to shoot that, to talk with whomever. But we hope you all have enjoyed this episode. Definitely hunt down some of these Steven Soderbergh movies. We've done the homework for you. You've got the path all laid out for you. Now you know the good ones to watch. So your choices <laughs> are clear. But thanks so much for listening. We greatly appreciate it. But more importantly, as always, onwards and upwards. Ain't like it used to be, but uh, it'll do. You know how to whistle, don't you, Steve? You just put your lips together and... Love.